Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome in. It's The Ride. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. Obviously, I'm not JMV. John out today, but pinch hitting. Longtime friend. Former competitor? I don't know if you would even call it that. It wasn't really much of a competition when I was on in the afternoons <laughs> with Jake Query on WNDE. But um, John and uh, and I were, I guess, counterparts for eight and a half, nine years, however long it was. And now it's uh, it's cool to be sitting in his chair and filling in for him. We always kind of maintained that friendship and all of that, and we never really took the whole... <laughs> I don't know, competition, battle, whatever it is, seriously. This is a real laid-back media market, as you guys have probably understood over the years. Like, the TV people all kind of pal around. The radio people all kind of pal around. And even though there's really only, like, one alive radio station right now, it didn't used to be that way. But um, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm I'm thrilled to get back on the air again in the afternoon in Indianapolis. Um, I love just sports radio in general. I, I still tune in to... All of the shows here, I, I just listened to Brian and Coach Fife on, on the Midday Show. Obviously, Jimmy has had a presence now for a lot of years as a producer and as a host there. And then Jake's, I guess it's not really new anymore, new-ish, somewhat new. I guess they're a year and a half, almost two years into it with him and Kevin in the mornings. And then, of course, John, who's been a staple here for, God, 20 years uh, here in the afternoon. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be just a, a small part of this lineup. And, you know, James, who's running the ones and twos for us today, he knows we've got this little, like, cubicle in the corner, and it's the part-time cubicle. So everyone else has, like, a desk. Like, Kevin Bowen's got a dedicated desk. JMV's got a dedicated desk. He's got a nameplate, the whole deal. He gets to keep stuff there. The part-time desk is literally completely empty, and it's just got a posted note that says part-time, and there's nothing else there. I don't know if there's even a phone there. There is a computer there. I'm not sure if it works. I haven't tried to, to do that. But that's been my space here for like the last hour or so as I've tried to uh, get something prepared for today. The good news is is about filling in, unlike, let's say, in like the dead of summer, we just got a lot cooking right now. Uh, the Colts are always cooking, right? The offseason is... Always interesting when you're a team that is constantly searching for answers. And that's what the Colts have been really for the last, 
what are we talking about here? At least the last four off seasons, right? Because you talk about the 2018 off season with this team, they were coming off a playoff berth and win. They went down to Houston and beat up on the AFC South champion that year in the Texans. Uh, lost at Arrowhead to Kansas City, which is fine. That's certainly forgivable. But you were assuming that things were surging and everything was fine. And yes, there was the issue with with Andrew Luck and what was it, a lower body injury or whatever they were saying that it was. I, I can't even remember. I've, I've tried to suppress all of that from my memory, to be totally honest with you, with the constant Andrew Luck injury situation. But that 2018 offseason, for the most part, it was puppies and rainbows. You were feeling really good about where the Colts were, where their trajectory was, the whole deal. Ever since then, that's really the last puppies slash rainbows offseason that we've had in this town. Because after 2019, you knew that Jacoby Brissett wasn't going to be the guy. They were going to be moving on. Ultimately, it ends up being Rivers. When you had Rivers, you kind of knew, eh, maybe it's going to be another year, maybe. But you're still searching for the long-term answer there at quarterback. And then, of course, he ends up retiring. So then you know, okay, we've got to move on to somebody else. And then the Wentz situation kind of crashes and burns there in December. And then I don't even need to get into what happened last year. Um, that that season never really got off the ground. So here we are again, 2023, and we're talking about how do the Colts get back on top of the NFL? Hell, how do the Colts get back on top of what's been the league's worst division? And it, it sucks. It's sad that we have to keep doing this over and over again. But I think the good news is, is that it makes for a really interesting and entertaining, thought-provoking uh, whatever else offseason because it wasn't always that way now admittedly I, I am spinning this in the ultimate spin doctor way because if you had your choice as a Colts fan you would much rather have the 2000s teams than what you've had over the past you know six seven eight years right everyone knows that but when you go back to when this team was really cooking so especially like mid-2000s to late-2000s. So starting with really the breakthrough, I think, was 03. You know, they won for a first time. They won in the playoffs with Peyton Manning as a starter in year six. Um, they go to Arrowhead and they win in the divisional round. They're in the AFC Championship game for the first time since 95. If you go from 03 to 09, that was really kind of the golden era of the Star Wars numbers Colts teams with the two Super Bowl appearances and then the ring and they were just constant contenders in those years the one drawback of those years and those teams I guess from a, a media perspective or even from a sports radio listener perspective was that the off seasons were super boring there was nothing happening there was nothing going on because there was no drama there were no big decisions to be made like the big decision was uh, should they extend Cato June? Like that was that was what would qualify as a big decision for those Colts or big news. And you just didn't really have any of the constant coverage like you do now. And yes, it's a different NFL media market and all that. Like we've got 800 billion people down at the owners meetings. You've got 800 billion people at the combine. You've got a radio row at the NFL combine, for God's sake. I mean, it's gotten borderline ridiculous, right? With the amount of attention that we pay this stuff. But... If I'm trying to spin this again like glass half full, the good news about the Colts is, yeah, they kind of stink right now, and they're still searching for answers, and there's a lot that we don't know, but man, at least they're fun, right? It's They're fun and entertaining to talk about all this stuff. They're not fun on the field. They're not really entertaining on the field, but off of it, hell yeah, sign me up. This is great. Let's go through a quarterback search every year. Let's be at the top of the draft every year. You know, that's been the Colts' time to shine, unfortunately. We got plenty of Colts talk coming 
later on today. Greg Rakestraw of the IC Sports Network and obviously of the Colts Radio Network going to join us coming up here at 3.30. So we'll get his thoughts on Lamar, but I'm actually a little bit more interested in talking to Greg about hoops. We just wrapped up the high school boys basketball season with a historic victory and an historic season, capping an historic season for the Ben Davis Giants as the guys from the west side end up knocking off Kokomo to complete an undefeated season, 33-0. and zero. Great, great season for Don Carlisle and the Giants. We'll talk about that with him, but also about the parity in college basketball. And, and Greg's been around mid-major basketball covering IUPUI and, and doing play-by-play for those games and, and low-mid basketball. And I think we've seen really an unprecedented surge in low-mid-major basketball here lately. I'm not just talking about Fairleigh Dickinson having a good night against Purdue. I just mean in general. So we'll talk about those things with Greg Rakestraw coming up here at 3.30. Colts with Zach Kiefer uh, at 4. I, I think we're still a little bit, am I right, James, a little bit in a holding pattern there because he's down in Arizona and we're trying to make sure. No, he's good to timing. go. Oh, he's good to go? Okay. He's good to go. Okay, good to go. I mean, it's always subject to change. They're not required to be on the show, but we're thinking that Zach Kiefer is going to join us at the Athletic coming up at 4 o'clock. He's in Arizona and has been sticking a microphone in the faces of Chris Bauer and Jim Irsay all week, so we'll talk to Zach uh, top of next hour. John Fanta is great. If you're a college basketball fan, you have to follow John Fanta. He is a Fox Sports college basketball commentator, also does work with the Field of 68 and their podcast and, and hosting and all of that. Came up with the Big East Network and and I, I think is viewed more as a Big East guy than everything else, but he's become like a national college basketball follow as well. I don't know anybody that loves college basketball as much as John Fancy. He's going to join us at 430. We'll talk about UConn. We'll talk about this Final Four. We'll talk about, God, where Butler sits right now, how Purdue comes back from the lost FDU, et cetera, et cetera. And that'll be at 430 as I, I wanted to fit in. I, I just didn't want to sit here and talk Colts for three hours. Um, sorry. <laughs> I do like talking Colts. I do like the offseason when it comes to the Colts, but I didn't want to just do that for three hours straight. Zach Hicks is going to join us as well at 5 o'clock. Um, speaking of must-follows, if you're a Colts fan, he's a, a guy that's kind of like John Fanta that has really kind of come on here in the last couple of years and surged in following because people have seen his work and seen his takes and what he does, and they've liked it. They've liked it a lot. And I think that's... That shows um, how far along, you know, some of this quote unquote new media has come along here with, you know, Zach is representing, I guess, SI.com, which is a legacy brand, but Horseshoe Huddle is still fairly new. The Locked On Podcast Network is still fairly new, and that's uh, where he currently resides right now, sort of in that new media field and started with Stampede Blue and all that. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation with Zach Hicks. We'll, We'll spend more time with Zach Kiefer on Lamar Jackson and just kind of state of the franchise stuff. With Zach, I, I sort of wanted to get more into Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, uh, tendencies, strengths, weaknesses, and all of that because that's more of his kind of wheelhouse and MO is film and, and breakdowns, and he's one of the best that there is, at least on the Colts side of things when it comes to those things. So coming up at 5 o'clock. And then we've got John Mayer tickets to give away. Um, no coincidence, but John Mayer probably one of the famous most famous people from the county that I grew up in Fairfield County I think he's a Fairfield High graduate if I'm not mistaken um and I grew up in the neighboring town of Trumbull so we we don't have very much to claim in that little tiny minuscule thimble of a state and that little tiny minuscule thimble of a county in that thimble of the state but John Mayer was one that you know Fairfield County talks about a lot 
um, and the Trumbull 1989 Little League World Champions. Those are the really the two big things, the two claims to fame for my little sliver of, of where I grew up. But um, John Mayer tickets coming up. End of the show. So quarter till, 10 till, whatever that is when we when we start to wrap up. And then you, 239-1070. Uh, you can tweet me at Schultz975, um, at 1075thefan as well. And all the podcasts and everything else will be available online. Are we on YouTube too? I forgot to even ask. Do we have the YouTube camera rolling? Yes, we are. Okay, cool. So hi. Hi, everybody on the YouTube channel as well for watching. Um, really appreciate that. Jim Ursay had some interesting comments about the quarterback situation and as it pertains to Lamar Jackson without necessarily directing directly referring to Lamar Jackson like I I feel like Chris Boward was a little more pointed in what he had to say about Lamar and I I think Ursay was approaching it more philosophically like how the Colts are going to build this thing and what their preference is when it comes to how they're going to approach this quarterbacking vacancy. And I wanted to read a couple of these quotes just because, you know, you can pick and choose some things out here that maybe are uh, warning label. I, I, I'm not even sure how to put it. Not, not, not red flags per se, but, but things that Jim Irsay said that you can kind of add up and then sort of figure out what the Colts are thinking here in this offseason with what they want to do. So here was his response to just being asked about Lamar Jackson being available. Quote, you're always looking for great dynamic players. The salary cap and what you're giving up draft pick wise is so important in franchise building. Paying a contract like that is not a problem. That's not the issue. The issue is what's the right thing to do for the franchise in terms of what helps us win in the long run. So I I get where Ursay is coming from here. Ursay doesn't want to go back down the Wentz Ryan and even Rivers. Rivers was successful, unlike those other two. That that year, uh, you got what you signed up for, I think. But he doesn't want to go back down that road of putting a band aid on it and saying, "Okay, let's just kick the can down the road at quarterback." He wants to find somebody and he wants to build around that person. He wants to get back to having the Manning and, and Luck teams, which, duh, of course, anybody would want to go back to having that one franchise guy to build around. The one thing that. I, I think where the the wires get crossed here, the math doesn't add up, is I don't view Lamar Jackson as a Band-Aid. Um, you know, say what you want, and, and we'll get into this, whether you're pro-Lamar, you're anti-Lamar, whatever. I, I know that he's kind of a polarizing figure, but if you're just talking about who Lamar Jackson is right now and, and what acquiring him right now would mean, not only for the Colts, for any NFL team. He's 26. He's a former MVP and he's been a dynamic talent in his five years in the league. He's a five-year NFL vet. You know, we've seen quarterbacks go well into the teens as far as how long their careers are. Now, Lamar bucks that trend. He's not exactly a, a drop-back passer who's not going to get touched. Like, Tom Brady never got touched. You know, Drew Brees didn't get touched a lot. Peyton Manning didn't get touched a lot. Those guys had longevity, I think, because they weren't on their backs all the time. You know, they weren't running for 1,200 yards a year like what Lamar Jackson is doing. So maybe you don't compare apples to apples as far as career longevity there with Jackson. But still, at 26 years old, you would have to assume that you've got at least five to seven very good to elite prime years left with Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, barring something unforeseen, of course, like a major, major Peyton Manning neck level injury. Obviously. 
So this isn't a one-year solution. Phillip Rivers was a one-to-two-year solution. Matt Ryan was a one-to-two-year solution, which didn't even be that wasn't even a one-week solution. Carson Wentz was a one-to-two-year flyer. You know, you took on Carson Wentz thinking maybe he can be the long-term guy because he was good once for like ten weeks five years ago. So man, okay, sure, let's let's give him a little bit of an audition, and for the first. I don't know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. You thought, okay, I can get with this. This is fine. This is okay. He's keeping the car in the center lane. And then the last couple of weeks, you know, all hell broke loose and the wheels fell off the car and and the wheels really kind of fell off the season. Lamar Jackson doesn't fit into any of those categories. So just because if if you're to acquire, if you're Jim Irsay and you're to trade for Lamar Jackson, I I don't think anybody looks at that as saying, oh, here we go again, veteran Band-Aid. I don't think anybody says that, even though Lamar technically is a quote-unquote veteran and he's been in the league and he is a quote-unquote known quantity because that's the other big thing that people want to argue about is that, well, the Wentz and Ryan moves were defensible because they were known quantities. Yeah, well, if the quantity sucks, then, you know, you have to approach this with some level of risk management and there is no such thing as safe. You know, everything comes at a risk, even acquiring Jackson. Ursay on what he wants from the quarterback process. Quote, we're looking for the future guy. We want the guy that could be here for the next 10 years. See, basically what we're talking about. For me, at least personally, it's a relief because as I told you guys, after Phillips' year, I wanted to go young. Let's go young. Let's grow our own. It's time. You look back at KC, Buffalo, all the teams having success. It's all drafted quarterbacks. They picked most of them high. End quote. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's the right approach to do. You know, independent of the Lamar Jackson situation, I think the Colts eventually here have to take a swing. And taking a swing when you have a top five pick is usually an advantageous spot to take a swing, especially when there are four pretty highly regarded quarterback prospects in this class. Unlike last year, you know, you didn't want a top five pick last year because you didn't even have one great prospect, much less two, two and a half. You know, however you regard this class, I think all of four of those guys are viewed, depending on who you talk to, to good, excuse me, good to great prospects. And then Ursay on franchise building, quote, when you have a young quarterback, it gives you the opportunity to build the franchise for the first three or four years on the rookie deal. That's so essential. The money's going to get spent. The question is, how do you spend it? How are you going to able, be able to sustain greatness? It's great to get there, but you have to sustain it in 25, 27, and not have a situation where you're in cap prison. I, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm not worried about what it takes to spend to get to where you need to go. That's, that's never been an issue for anybody. That's not been an issue for Kansas City with the deal that they gave Mahomes. That was not an issue with the Colts, with the deals, all the lucrative deals that they gave Peyton Manning. That was not an issue with the Patriots and all the lucrative deals that they gave Tom Brady. It's a it's a it's something that we talk about and it just it it's you find the pennies and the nickels and the quarters and the couch cushions. You know, cap cap hell is when you stink and you have a bunch of bad contracts. That's cap hell. Cap hell is not when you are paying your quarterback forty million dollars and you have to be, um, you have to be a little more elusive with the cap and try to kind of work around that. I, I will happily, if I'm Chris Ballard or Jim, Mer- I'll happily work around the cap when I have a quarterback that's worth forty mil or fifty mil or you know whatever, whatever you're paying them. That's that's a. That's a good problem to have. That's what I would put that. That's how I would categorize that. Good problem to have when you already have the franchise quarterback. So I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is with Lamar is you got to trade picks for him. 
So you're giving up draft capital and you got to pay him. And you got to pay him the guaranteed money because that's how this whole thing kind of popped up with Baltimore. And the cat's out of the bag now. With the Deshaun Watson deal, everybody that comes up is going to want what he got or close to what he got. So whether it's 150, whether it's 200, whatever it is for Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to pony up major guaranteed money because that's what all these guys are going to want. Burrow's going to get that. Mahomes got a lot of that. Allen's going to get that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, once you have your guy, who cares? Pay him whatever they want. And the whole deal on guaranteed contracts, I, I don't know if I'm really interested in getting into all of that today. All the other major sports, baseball, basketball, you sign on the dotted line, it's $40 million, you know you're getting $40 million. Football has the shortest career span, and it stinks that we're not also giving these guys guaranteed money, but the owners are going to fight tooth and nail on this. I mean, you heard what Ursay said yesterday in the owners' meetings. I didn't even list that in the quotes here, but he talked about how he didn't want to go down that road with guaranteed contracts, and that doesn't surprise me at all. They don't want more money coming out of their pockets you know at the end of the day they want to keep everything status quo as much as possible they want taxpayer dollars to fuel their palatial stadiums and they don't want guaranteed contracts shock right why would you want anything else if you've been operating the other way for your entire life you know you can have all the money in the world but somebody reaches into your pocket you don't want that to happen whether you're making a billion dollars or whether you've got $10 in your ATM account when you go to withdraw. Doesn't matter. But this Jackson thing, while we're kind of hot and heavy about it and the Colts are the Vegas favorite or whatever else to, to land him, and we'll talk about this more with Zach Kiefer who has more of a finger on the pulse of it than, than just about anybody, it, it doesn't appear to me that what the Colts have done so far this offseason points to them making a serious pursuit of Lamar Jackson. Do you trade Stephon Gilmore for a fifth rounder if you think Lamar Jackson's going to be here? Wouldn't you have already cut Kenny Moore and Ryan Kelly, which I guess you can still technically do, but wouldn't you have already done that before the roster bonuses if you needed to free up money and you thought that Lamar Jackson was going to be your QB1 next year? You know, would would you have tried? Maybe not, but would you have tried to uh, or tried harder to keep Bobby Okereke if Lamar Jackson was going to be here. To me, while Lamar Jackson is a uh, gives you a five, six, seven-year, however long window, and it's not just a Band-Aid, it is still more of a win-now move than drafting Will Levis or drafting Anthony Richardson, where you know this is not like a ready-made deal and a quarterback's going to come here and, and hit the ground running. You know that you're going to have to improve and develop that guy. So everything that they've done so far this offseason seems to point to the Colts being patient, the Colts being deliberate, the Colts looking at this as a long-term build. Hey, we've tried this other stuff. We've thought before that we were very close to contending. So let's bring in Matt Ryan. Let's bring in Carson Wentz. This team's not far off. They're a quarterback away. So let's bring a veteran in that knows what he's doing. And let's have them be the guy. And the rest of the roster is going to take care of itself. And I think that they realized once things really went south this year that, hey, we're not there. This roster isn't good enough. And the fact that you've got nine pro bowlers or seven pro, however many it was two years ago, uh, means bupkis when the pro bowlers are a long snapper. 
Hey, congratulations. You have a uh, slot corner. Guess what? Your uh, running back is a pro bowler. Your offensive guard, pro bowler. All right, sweet. Great. Yeah, let's let's ride that. That doesn't mean anything. If you're not good at wide receiver, if you're not good at quarterback, if you're not good at end, pass rush, edge, whatever, if you're not great at corner, it doesn't matter if you've got Pro Bowl players at non-impact position. It's nice to have that stuff. It's nice to have Jonathan Taylor. It's nice to have Quentin Nelson uh, when he's right, and he didn't look quite right last year. I'm, I'm going to give Quentin Nelson a little bit of a break for last year, and I'm just going to maybe chalk it up to recovery from surgeries and all of that. And, and I'm hoping that he'll get back to being the Quentin Nelson that we were used to seeing next year. But I'm worried about the rest. I'm worried about Kenny Moore and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and, and all of the individual regression that we've seen from this team. And I'm also a little bit skeptical on projecting out what some of the other players who are established, who have established themselves but still have room to grow and room to improve, like Michael Pittman Jr., I'm still wondering what all they are. Like, is Michael Pittman Jr. a top 10, a top 15, a top 20 level wide receiver? Is he going to be that? I don't know. I mean, you know, gun to my head right now, I'd say no. I think he's good. I think he has the potential to be very good. I don't think he's a game breaker. And I think that's something else really that the Colts have lacked, at least at the positions that matter. You know, you've had good players. You've had decent production from some of those guys in some of those spots but you know you can only have so much of an impact on the game if you're a center if you're even if you're you know Shaquille Leonard is is a guy that really impacts the game from what would be considered somewhat of a a lesser impact position and Jonathan Taylor is another guy that impacts the game from what would be considered a, a little bit of a lesser position for game impact And those guys are, when they're right and healthy, they're the best of the best of what they do. But even with that, again, when you have the shortcomings everywhere else, it it just doesn't matter. You know, what's your ceiling there? Nine wins? Ten wins? Wild card weekend? AFC South runner-up? That's not where the Colts want to be. They don't want to be that. I mean, it'd be nice to just get to the playoffs again. That'd be a a nice step in the right direction. That's a baby step, considering where they want to go. We'll talk more about it. Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network, is going to join us. And we'll talk Colts with him. High school hoop, college hoops as well. And we still got a lot to get to. Jam-packed. I'm excited. Ready to go. Tuesday afternoon, filling in for JMV on the ride. It's Derek Schultz, 93.5. 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining whether it be on traditional radio, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan, streaming us online, the YouTube. What does John call it? The Lounge, right? The Lounge. Hi to everybody in the Lounge. I know you're disappointed to see my face instead of John's, but still appreciate you being here. We're talking Colts. We're talking college hoops. We got a lot cooking on today's show as well. Um, Lamar Jackson-wise, more of a headline, I guess, yesterday because the trade request, if you want to call it that, came Monday morning, Um, but I was looking around because 
I know the Colts are the favorites to land in, but I was kind of looking for the other teams that would be in that mix. And Detroit was one. Um, they're not desperate for a quarterback, but they could probably use an upgrade depending on how you feel about their current QB1. And then the Commanders said that they weren't going to be interested, but you never really know. They've got their own thing going on right now with the potential sale of the team. And I saw a $6 billion price tag on there. So they're probably focused a little bit more on that than they are worried about Lamar Jackson and their next quarterback. But clearly it appears that that relationship has expired. It has come to a conclusion and you're going to see him in a different uniform I don't know, maybe not next year. He's still got one year on his deal, um, and maybe he just sits out. I, I I don't know when this thing is going to be resolved, but adding it up today, just with what you've seen, it, it, it looks like they've reached the point of no return there, and you're going to see him with a new team somewhat sometime in the future. 239-1070, at Schultz975 on Twitter. You can follow our next guest on Twitter as well, at Greg Rakestraw. He is the vice president of the IC Sports Radio Network, uh, IC Sports Network, I should say, Colts Radio Network as well, uh, which you hear him on. You hear him on just about everything. Did coverage of the IHSA State Basketball Finals as well over the weekend. And uh, I, I, remind me, Rake, you have a much better memory than I do. You have like a photographic memory. I feel like I, I filled in for JMV around this time last year, did I not, when he was on vacation and you were supposed to be on vacation. And I told you, hey, man, aren't you on vacation? Like, are you sure you want to do the show today? Well, I always am excited to talk to you, but yes, technically I'm on vacation, but of all the times that I might have a little bit of disappointment in my voice in talking to you and not JMV, uh, I'm in Terre Haute today. I'm about to call an Indiana State University baseball game as the trees host the Boilermakers, and I'm probably sure you don't have the same level of Terre Haute stories about Indiana State baseball that John would be dropping right now. He'd be interrupting my flow of conversation, <laughs> talking about his days of doing Indiana State baseball as a student. Yeah, I don't really have any Terre Haute stories outside of uh, anything involving the old um, training camp site. That's about the, the the amount of time that I've spent in Terre Haute have all been back in the day when the Colts were there. But think about this when that was the case. Our food options then were Burger King, McDonald's, and if you want to get out of the car, you go to Arby's. That was all the way to exit 11 back in the day. Now they got like a Starbucks there yeah. and a mall. It's crazy because uh, the, 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 the choices were a bit more Spartan uh, when I was going there like on a daily basis from 2001 through 2008. Yeah, it's grown a lot, and it's good to see. I mean, I went to Fort Wayne a couple of uh, months ago for the first time since, I don't know, like the late 2000s, and I was like, wow, Fort Wayne's actually pretty cool. Like, there's stuff to do, and <laughs> there's stuff going on. So I'm, I'm happy to hear it about Terre Haute as well. I, you know, I always try to root for South Bend, Evansville, all the Indiana cities. Well, and this is the sport that Indiana State is most nationally prominent at is baseball as well. They have the fourth toughest schedule in the country to this point. Wow. And they are rated 27th in the RPI. And, yes, there is an RPI for baseball as well. So, Indiana State, as I'm literally reading the signage uh, here in the building, they have made the NCAA tournament for baseball 11 times. And uh, they're 3-0 in the league playing into today's game against the Boilermakers. Well, you're not far from where you sit right now, from the old Colts training camp side. Back in those days, we never had to worry about who the quarterback was the next year or all the offseason question marks because it was just, yep, they're going to roll out of bed, win 12, 13, 14 games, whatever else. Those are the, kind of the good old days. But 
not so much good old days with where we sit today. Um, obviously, you're paying attention, as we all are, to this Lamar Jackson situation. Uh, do you think ultimately, Greg, that the Colts will seriously pursue him? I don't think so. Just because of the way that the Ravens tagged him, it's not like you can negotiate a lower uh, you know, price point. You know, there's, there's this phraseology that we have in NBA called a sign-and-trade where you've got a little bit more of a window to kind of do things. It's not really with the level of franchise tag that the Ravens, and understandably so, sign Lamar to try to protect their interest or protect their investment in this situation. And because of, of the couple of first-round picks and because of the rightful question marks, for as talented as Lamar is, the rightful question marks about the physical toll he has taken as a running quarterback these last handful of years, I just the, the, the Colts can talk about it. I don't actually see them pulling the trigger on the move. Yeah, and what they've done so far just doesn't strike me as a team that is preparing for him to be their quarterback, right? Because no. would, would you trade Gilmore if you're bringing in Lamar Jackson? Would you would you do some of the things roster wise? Like, wouldn't you have already probably let go of Kenny Moore and Ryan Kelly before the roster bonuses to free up that cap space, knowing that that extension was going to have to come with it? Correct. And what tells me that you are planning to play a quarterback on a rookie wage scale for the next five years? Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Uh, strikes me as a bit of a an interest, certainly an interesting, but a little bit of an odd quarterback class. If if the Colts are going to go down that road, because. While everyone agrees on all four of the top guys and potentially having high-level starter potential, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people who believe any of those guys project as a, a superstar. Um, you know, With where you are and what you know about those four guys, let, let's t- say Levis and Richardson because it looks like the other two in Stroud and, and, uh, and Young are going to go one-two. Who do you think might fit more for what the Colts want to do? You know, to me, kind of the uncertainty of the quarterback class, it is amplified by just how big of a sure thing the Colts had the last two times they were in a similar position. You know, people weren't questioning Peyton Manning. People weren't questioning Andrew Luck. And, yes, people feel good about Stroud and Young. Uh, people feel that there are there's potential for guys like Levis and Richardson. But, it's again, it's, it's why I was not opposed to the Colts moving up to number one, even if there wasn't a definitive guy, hey, this is, this is the surefire thing here, because just your options were so much better if you had moved ahead of everybody and got the one where you could pick your guy or you could kind of negotiate what that price tag is. Now you know the best that you're going to do is picking the third best guy. Because the Panthers have made their move. The Texans aren't trading with you. And so in all likelihood, it's whom do you like more? Is it Levis or Richardson? And again, you see potential there. But are those guys sure things? Absolutely not. And so part of me says if you can get to three and get Richardson, if he's got the higher ceiling, go get him. Especially if you've got Gardner Minshew at least for the next year or two to help kind of solidify that spot. Levis, I'm, I'm, I'm not as high on him. Colt potentially could get him at four. Colt may have to go to three to get him. Again, you, you see potential there, but you're right. It's not exactly a surefire sort of thing. We're talking with Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network, and many other outlets here on The Ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Let's talk uh, what you just saw this past weekend. Great crowd, great atmosphere uh, for all the games, but especially the 4A game between Ben Davis and Kokomo. And, you know, 33-0, and Greg, um, given the schedule that they played 
And I I actually think people look at this maybe as a knock when you say, well, Ben Davis this year didn't have a high level college player like you didn't have obviously you didn't have like an Odin or a Conley but you didn't have a Justin Cage or, or a, a Jordan Holes you know like we've seen with some of these undefeated state champions but I, I think that's actually is it not the ultimate compliment to pay to Ben Davis is that as far as some of their parts teams this is about as good as I can remember in, in following Indiana high school basketball correct uh, and, and the, the most apt comparison is, is to Warren Central five years ago who went 32-0, and it's at the previous mark for most wins in an unbeaten Indiana high school boys basketball season. That Warren Central team ends up not having a single Division I player on the team. Uh, David Bell was the Division I athlete, obviously now with the Cleveland Browns in the National Football League. But Jacoby Robinson, Jesse Bingham still playing at UND. Uh, Dean Tate played at Purdue Northwest. Uh, Malik Stanley, who was kind of a star the following year, uh, ended up going to the University of Tampa. Those were primarily Division II and NAIA-level kids that played on that team. That's not the case with this Ben Davis team. You know, Zane Dowdy at Valpo is probably the highest-end recruit of the senior class. Sheridan Sharp going to Nickel State. Guys like Butler and Arnold are going to play Division II. I think there's probably a higher ceiling for the sophomore and juniors of that group in Mark Zachary, Mark White. K.J. Windham, who are all getting Division I looks, and again, Zachary has to make the choice, a la David Bell, am I playing football at the next level, am I playing basketball at the next level? He's just a sophomore, so he's got time to try to figure that stuff out. This is as good of a team as there has been in Indiana high school basketball in a long time. To me, we're talking about the best teams to ever do it. You're talking about 69 Washington, George McGinnis, Steve Downing. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 71 East Chicago with Junior Bridgman, Pete Turgovich, Tim Stoddard. You're talking about 85 Marion with the younger end of, of Jay Edwards and, and Lyndon Jones. We go along with Derek Keyes, Kyle Persinger, uh, players like that. Uh, you're talking about Odin and Conley of 0304 fame. You know, they had an unbeaten season in there, too. I think Ben Davis deserves to be in the conversation. How you compare those teams because of how different athletes are and how differently the game is played, I have no earthly idea as to how to separate those guys. But Ben Davis deserves to be in that conversation because of how good they were this year and, again, how ridiculous their schedule was. Here's a couple of quick notes I will share with you. Of their 33 wins, 25 came against teams in the top 64 of the Sagarin ratings. And they own victories over, in those same computer polls, they own victories over the teams ranked two through nine. All of them, Ben Davis, what they just accomplished is one of the greatest seasons in the history of Indiana high school basketball, period. Yeah, it was incredible. And an incredible atmosphere. I wasn't there, but I, I saw, you know, Jeff Rabjohns tweeted a pregame video before tip and to see it fold of the rafters. Uh, this was pretty much the first quote-unquote normal season post-COVID, right? Because you still had some of the crowd restrictions, certainly in 21, and then even into well into the, the winter of, of 22. And we're constantly asking about, you know, the health of Indiana high school basketball. And, well, this is what it used to be, and this is what it is now. But when I look at something like that, Greg, with that, the attention about that game, and just from being around those high school gyms, especially this year, um, I'd assume you diagnose it as pretty darn good with where we are. It's fantastic. Um, and, and what you are seeing is that, you know, if, if a team is great, people will show up to watch them. If a player is great, 
a la Flory Badunga, people will show up to watch him. Um, attendance is on an uptick period. I think the whole COVID pandemic made people appreciate local sports and high school sports all the more. Um, but then at the, at the same time, um, it's, 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 again, I think it's on the uptick, but I also don't think you can just roll out the ball and people automatically show up. People will go if they believe what they're seeing is something special. In Ben Davis, you had something special. In Kokomo, you had something special. In Northwood, you had something special. In Northwood, who won the 3A game, they were clearly the best team outside of 4A for the entirety of the year, which is why I was not at all surprised that we saw more than 16,000 people for the night session at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Joined by Greg Regstraw. A couple of things before I cut you loose for Trees Baseball here. Uh, I was fascinated by this, and I was like, well, when I found out that James said you were going to be on the show, I was like, i got to ask Rake about this. Given your time at IUPUI, you've been around mid-major basketball and a lot of low-mid-major basketball as well. And I'm not talking about like the MAC or the Valley. Like That's higher mid-major. Those teams win NCAA tournament games and, and have been doing so for many years. But have you noticed a discernible difference between the level of play – maybe this year or the past couple of years of low mids like are, are the summit league the southern league the ivy level teams are they are they better now and is that why we're seeing what we've been seeing in, the, in this ncaa tournament especially you know i, I think what it is it, it is easier to collect talent potential from the nil standpoint but i don't think they were making big money at florida atlantic going into the season i i, I have no idea if you're allowed to do stuff like that in the ivy league but it's, we're in this really weird spot. And let me tell you about a team that should have been good that wasn't. But as for a reason as to why you've got these lower majors that can have these deeper tournament runs. Purdue-Fort Wayne returned virtually everybody. And I think their average age of their starting five was over 23 or 24. Wow. Like if you, if you had the combined number of years of in college – of their starting five, I think that number was like 23 years of college basketball experience going counting this year. And so because you can accumulate so many seniors um, and because guys, because of the COVID free pass and more liberal transfer and redshirt rules, you know, we've got sixth and seventh year kids playing college basketball. So I almost liken it like the only the only example I could think of that was like it, even though these true freshmen couldn't play back then, was almost like after the war. You know, you'd have like 24 and 25 year old guys playing against 19 and 20 year old guys. Yeah. There's only a one or two year window where that should be allowed to continue, and so maybe it's not surprising that some stranger things have happened. But I, I will say this, Derek, I am so happy that San Diego State's in the Final Four or Florida Atlantic's in the Final Four. I was rooting for total chaos. I wanted no Power Five or throw throw the Big East in there too, Power Six conference teams, because the system is so stacked against teams from the Valley or Mid-American or Horizon League or Summit League, whatever the case may be, because the big boys have tried to completely eliminate the phrase mid-major from college basketball. Those teams don't go play the mid-sized guys, the little guys on their floor. And the I think 27 of the 36, you know, uh, non-automatic bids with the Power Five or Power Six member schools. And yet here we are with a Mountain West team and a team in Conference USA who's going to be in the American Athletic Conference next year. One of those teams playing in the national championship game. 
So even with everything stacked against them, programs are finding a way to be successful. And I love that because I've always got a special place in my heart because of my days at IUPUI and the friends that I have, like, say, John Sherman at Indiana State University. I want to see those guys and those programs be successful knowing the system is almost rigged against them, and yet they still find a way. Yeah, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Carmel or, like, Westfield, they have better athletics facilities than Fairleigh Dickinson. Like, I, I don't even think that's hyperbole to say. I mean, that, that's how low level of college basketball this is. Um, and, and to see those teams have success. I, I agree. Look, I, I didn't like that FDU beat Purdue. Um, but to, 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 that whole thing, it, it's what we're enamored with and what is so endearing about the NCAA tournament to begin with. Correct. And again, I am, I'm very curious as to what happens with Dusty May going forward. Me too. You know, does he stick it out of Florida Atlantic? Does he make them more of a power? Um, I, I think the level of school that he can go coach at has changed dramatically in the course of the next couple of weeks. Like a lot of people are going to say, hey, there's an IU guy that's the AD at Penn State. He just lost Micah Shrewsbury. Dusty May's his next guy. Um, probably more team, people watched his teams in Boca Raton than people watched Mike Shrewsbury's teams in State College. And so I'm curious as to what the next step is going to be for him a few days from now. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter, Trees Baseball this afternoon, iscsportsnetwork.com. You can also download the ISC app on mobile, Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, among other platforms. Uh, enjoy this quote-unquote vacation, my man, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, pal. <laughs> That's Greg Rakestraw. Good buddy of mine for a long time, and we had worked the last two years together at uh, at ISC Sports Network up until December, and I know you're really interested about my LinkedIn page, so now I'm an employee actually at Purdue, and it's not sports-related, it's just university-related, and it's been a lot of fun, but I do, um, I do see those guys and, and Greg and the whole ISC crew every week because we still uh, do the Quarry and Schultz show with Jake Quarry, who does the morning show. On Mondays at 7.30, shameless plug, uh, com, or, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, then you can find the show there on our YouTube channel. Just go to at Schultz on YouTube to check that out. But um, Greg's been a longtime friend, mentor, coworker, I, technically a boss, I think, for a while there. But um, when it comes to especially high school sports in this state, I, th- I think he is like the the guy when it comes to that. Certainly as a broadcaster, he's the guy. You know, I think there, there's somebody that we associate with every level of sports in this city or in this state. But if we're talking just high school sports, I, I, the first person that I think of is is Greg Rickstraw when it comes to at least where we sit currently. So appreciate him coming on the show and giving us some time when he's got a broadcast to do and he's supposed to be on vacation. But that, that man never really vacations. We got more on Lamar Jackson and... Do you like Lamar Jackson? Do you want him here? Should the Colts do that? Do you want to stay away? Depending on who you ask, I I feel like people are either firmly yes or firmly no for Lamar Jackson. But I don't know. I might be wrong there. 239-1070. We'll take some calls on that. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic to talk more Colts with us. Top of the hour. It's the ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Oh, f- 
Lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thanks to James running the controls for us today as I'm filling in for JMV. I'm assuming just out for spring break. I didn't ask him, but I got a text from Todd, I don't know, Thursday, Friday. Hey, do you want to fill in for JMV? And I said, yeah, absolutely. If he'll have me, then sure. Love to do this. And thanks so much for joining us. I know we've got about 100 people in the YouTube lounge watching as well. I'm sorry. I've let my beard get like really scraggly. And we, we've had this stretch of weather here in March. You know, today's okay. It's like, what, mid-40s, high-40s, whatever it is. And at least the sun's out. But we've had kind of a miserable weather-wise March. Like, I feel like February was a lot nicer than March. And so I, I'm working remotely right now. And my son's on break. And he's been sick. Is sick. He had that hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is really gross. But, you know, six-year-olds get diseased all the time. And uh, <laughs> so we, we haven't left the house a lot. And I've been, you know, like rocking joggers and I'm, I'm wearing my, you know, 93.5, 107.5, the fan hoodie here because um, I'm trying to stay on brand and on point. So they'll keep inviting me back to, to fill in every once in a while. But I haven't done anything with the beard um, lately. And it's just way too, I'm getting gray hairs in it too. And and also I need a haircut. So I've got the gray hair going on the sides and it's just, I, I'm not that you tune into a sports radio show thinking, oh, yeah, the host is real handsome, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching him because that's, trust me, that's really not the case with any sports radio host. But especially with me today, I just look kind of haggard and gross. So hi to everybody in the lounge, and I'm sorry to disappoint you that, A, I'm not John, and B, I, I just look kind of like a hobbity, hairy, fluffy mess here um, on the on the live camera, but still appreciate you tuning in. Other headlines today, I know I had mentioned Lamar Jackson, which is kind of a headline from yesterday, but just the fact that the NFL owners meetings are continuing here in Arizona. We're going to talk to Zach Kiefer of The Athletic here coming up in just a few minutes at the top of the hour, but uh, we're not going to spend really any time on the Pacers. Pacers are kind of in the uh, non-topic range of things right now. They've got six games left. Um, they just got run up by the Mavs, and it's it's not been a great second half of the season for them. I guess great in the short term. Maybe it's great in the long term as far as their draft stock is concerned. And they're, they're hanging around the playing round, but really, who cares? It's the playing round. They're not obviously going to make a run or anything like that this year. But um, I think a lot of positives from this year. I think a lot of individual growth that we've seen and a lot of optimism for the future. I, I just think in the scope of where the Pacers are right now in March of 23, it, it's hard to kind of shoehorn that in as a topic. I, I don't know if you know a lot of people are really concerned with who they are right now. I think they're worried about who they're going to be in 24 and 25 and 26, and, and I don't blame those people. That's kind of where I am as well, but a, a loss to the Mavericks um, last night. UConn opening up as the heavy betting favorite. No surprise there. I saw them at minus 150 in some books. Um, to me, clearly the best team left. Miami's been very impressive, and I think they are very difficult to guard, but UConn looks like the the class of, of who's left. John Fanta at 430 is going to join us, and we'll get more into who all is playing in Houston then, but not a surprise to see UConn as the heavy favorite, and being a Connecticut native, and I never liked UConn. They were shoved down my throat all the time. I have a lot of mouthy UConn fan friends. And um, and I've been hearing from them this week, as I usually do when, you know, once every five years when they've got a championship level team, which seems to just happen like clockwork, like every five, six years. Oh, look, UConn's in the final four. Oh, oh look, UConn's winning the championship again. And then they're like out of the tournament in the other years. It's crazy. They're like the Red Sox of college basketball, where 
you know, they're 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 bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're not very good, and then oh god, look, they're elite, they're awesome, and they're raising the banner at the end of the day. Not that I'm bitter about it. And finally, I I kind of alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Jackson and potential other suitors besides the Colts. Um, an ownership group including Magic Johnson has reportedly met Dan Snyder's six billion dollar asking price for the Washington Commanders. So looks like that is um uh, in the works, maybe. Um six billion. I mean, it's just it's insane. Um and what's great about sports owners is that they'll still cry poor whenever they want to about, well, we can't afford this, we can't afford that, we can't afford this player, we can't pay a guaranteed contract. Um, teams worth $6 billion. The Commanders, Washington Commanders, who haven't had national brand recognition in 30 years. You know, you can imagine how much the Cowboys are worth or some of these other teams. You know, obviously the Commanders, given their franchise history and all of that and their gigantic generation-filled fan base of, you know, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it is, uh, they're going to be worth more than the the Jaguars and the Titans and some of those other teams. You know, like I, I, I get all of that, but at least as far as on-field success and branding, like if you ask, stop somebody on the circle right now, hey, what do you think of the Washington Commanders? They're probably going to have a negative reaction because they really haven't been. How old are you, James? Just out of curiosity. I'm 27. Okay, yeah. So in your lifetime, the the Redskins. Uh, sorry, I keep saying the Commanders. <laughs> it, it's it's taken me years and years to get that right. The Washington Commanders. Have not been relevant. No, not at, at all. any point in your life. No, nope, yeah, like at all. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm 40. I'm still old enough to remember the '91 team, which was a really good team, and and a team that I think we kind of shortchanged. Like that, that could have been a a 16 and 0 level team. That's how good they were. Um, but that was the last. I think they have something like three playoff wins since then. I, I don't. They haven't been to a, a conference championship game since then, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so. It's been a long slog there for Washington, and it's not been pretty. We got Zach Kiefer, the Athletic, coming up top of the hour. He's down in Arizona, which is much warmer than here, and things heating up news-wise for the Colts. Reaction to what Jim Irsay said and where the franchise could be heading this offseason. We'll talk to Zach all about it next on The Ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Two more minutes. They could be miles off course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. A real sweat. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hour number two of the ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Derek Schultz. Nice, bright, sunny day here at Indy, but I don't think it's even going to hit 50. I'm assuming it is much warmer where our next guest joins us from at the NFL owners' meetings. He covers the Colts for the Athletic. And his name is Zach Kiefer, and he joins us now on the ride with JMV. Um, do you have any time at all, Zach, with everything that you're doing down there and, and writing and uh, all the microphones sticking in all of the people's faces? Do you have any time for golf at all down there or no? You know, Derek, I'm glad you asked because that's the most important part of this trip. Um, <laughs> Monday and Tuesday is like all day from 6 a.m. to midnight. You're you know, I mean, if anyone out there knows, you, you sit down with Jim Mercer, it's a long conversation. It's a lot of transcribing. So after a long couple of days where you don't even really get a chance to breathe, you don't even really get to enjoy the sunshine. And it is really nice here. 
I, I might sneak out tomorrow if I get my work done in time. Don't tell my wife, though, because she probably expects me home a little bit earlier. <laughs> I knew you'd find time. I knew you were a big golf guy. Um, can you tell me where this team is mindset-wise? Because the Colts seem to be in this weird spot where – Jim Irsay is obviously anxious to win again, right? He, that's his number one priority. He wants to win. But he's also letting his general manager get another shot at a head coach with Shane Steichen and, and a third real shot at a quarterback here with whoever it's going to be next. And he's talking about building things up. So which is it here? Because I feel like in the past year, Irsay has made a mix of patient and calculated decisions, but also impatient and rash decisions. Yeah, that's a really good question because I think they're trying to play it both ways, right? They're trying to have both sides of the coin. We sat with Jim Irsay at his very, very elegant golf side tweet last night overlooking the desert. And we had a really long talk about an hour about where this team is at, about where it's going and about the lessons of the last couple of years. And that was one of the questions I asked was what the hell went wrong. Right. And, and his hands were dirty and Chris Ballard's hands were dirty and Frank Reich and all that. We don't need to look back at where is this team at right now? I don't know. I think they're resetting. He, he preached patience a lot last night. Ursay did. And they're going to draft this quarterback very much with Shane Steichen in mind. They're going to draft the quarterback that Shane wants, I believe. And they're going to build around that. Now, where does that leave Chris Ballard? And that's what I'm writing about tomorrow for the athletic. Because for years, the response we would get from Jim Ursay was, look, I love Chris. I think he's great. He's going to be here for a long time. That was not the response we got last night. Now, he still likes Chris. He still believes in him. He's going to let him pick this quarterback. But the response was, look, if you're a coach or general manager, you need to produce. And Chris is seven games under 500. He's won one playoff game and no division titles. And Chris admitted after the season last year, he fired himself 50 times. So he knows how bad it got. The problem is, when they've been in this situation before, they've had that, that golden nugget at the top of the draft, right? The real no-brainers, right? And I don't need to go into all that. This is so much different. This is so much harder because you're going to get the third quarterback at best, at best. And they're not going to be a situation where they're going to win a lot next year. I really don't think they're going to win. I think they know that. Jim Mercy is trying to say that they're going to try and win next year. He's trying to spin that. He's trying to sell hope. It's just hard for me to see that. It's really hard for me to see that. They do have talent, right? He talked about Shaq Leonard coming back. He talked about Jonathan Taylor getting that ankle healthy, right? They have talent. They're not devoid of talent. There's certainly teams with less talent around the league. But if you look at that one position that they don't have solved, it's really hard to see this team really winning big in 2023. Yeah, and I respect Chris Ballard's stance. And, and I agree with his stance, Zach, that you don't want to force it and you want to find the right guy. But I think there's a difference between being cautious and being scared. If you're just sitting around waiting for, like, the perfect quarterback prospect to fall into your lap, like, that doesn't exist. Josh Allen wasn't that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes wasn't that. You know, any of these guys. Justin Herbert wasn't that. Like, there were there were serious questions about all of those guys, and, and that's kind of what I'm concerned with, with, with Boward and just this approach that he's taking here. I, I think he's waiting for a perfect situation that's just – it's not going to happen. You know what their biggest regret is, Derek? And I'm not breaking any news here. Their biggest regret is not drafting one in 2021. Yeah. That's when they had their opportunity. But they sent a first-round pick to Philadelphia. They traded for Carson Wentz. That's their biggest regret of those that are still here, the decision-makers. That's their, that, that was their chance to really move off from Phillip Rivers after his retirement and start over and, and, and do what Jim Merce really wants to do, right? He wants to grow his own. And he really wants that quarterback on a rookie contract so he can maneuver around him and build up because they're going to have to have pieces around this guy. 
because this guy's not going to come in and, and go to the Pro Bowl right away like Andrew Luck did in 2012. So I see what you're saying. It, it, you can't just sit on the sidelines forever. Ballard is, is very judicious. He's not going to take a risk he doesn't like. He's, now, he's done, he's done that before. He, he's made plays at bigger positions that people often overlook. Like the move for Buckner was a big trade. They signed Rivers. They paid him a lot. The move for Rat Ryan, the move for Phillip Rivers. I mean, those were significant franchise quarterback moves, right? But you can't sit on the sidelines that long at quarterback. You're going to have to take your shot. None of these guys are going to be perfect. He's not going to want to be boxed in. He's not going to want to be forced to make a pick. But it's time, man. It's time to sit on, to stop sitting on the sidelines. And the only other thing I add is if they take one this year, that doesn't mean they wouldn't consider taking one next year. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, if, if you step up into the box and then you swing and miss, you just step up and take another swing. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, you're, you're not doomed as a franchise forever if you miss. You know, you guys miss. One, right? yeah. You just got to get one guy. And so, I, you know, you, you, can't, you can't hit a home run if you don't swing. And I think that's kind of the problem that, that I approach there with, with the Colts at all. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that Ursay talked about in hindsight in, in 21, and, and he's claiming that he wanted it to be uh, – wanted to go young there. It, it, it kind of bothers me, Zach. Look, I, I like Ursay. I know you like Ursay. I, I think he's a good owner because I think he wants to win. So for all his, you know, Jim Ursay-ness, uh, I, I've always liked Jim Ursay, but – I don't like the cop out of well. I wanted to do this, but I was talked out yeah. of it. Look, man, you're the owner, so yeah. you're the pilot. You decide where the plane flies. So I don't want to hear it. You know, him tr- keep trying to pin that on somebody else or on Reich. Um, it bothers me, and, and I hope, hopefully, maybe since this owners' meeting, we're going to move on from that permanently. Hey, man, I didn't even ask about it. If, if yeah. that tells you anything, I didn't even ask about it. But I have the same. I have the same thought. And, it, and I went back and I was at those press conferences when he was selling Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. He was selling the hope that Carson Wentz brought, and he was selling the fact that they thought he would be here for five or six years. But if you go back, you can understand all the moves they made. You really can. Like bringing Rivers in for one year, going to get Carson because Frank believed in Carson and he thought he could change him, and and they had, had a lot of success together. And also. You know, he was supposed to be a guy that solved that problem for the next couple of years while you looked in the draft for the next guy. And then last year, they got out of the Carson problem and then got Matt Ryan thinking they had removed the problem and, and solved the issue. And they didn't. So they've swung twice in a row, missed twice in a row, and they're done with the veteran route. They're absolutely done with it. I'm surprised you haven't asked me about Lamar Jackson yet. I just don't <laughs> see it happening. I just don't see it happening. And if you disagree, you can read what Ursay said in my story that was posted this morning. I think your first answer kind of summed up, because I was prepared to ask you about that, Zach, but I think your first answer about roster building and, and how they're approaching this pretty much answered that. I mean, everything that the Colts have done so far this offseason points to them not pursuing Lamar Jackson, right? Yeah, there's just there's not a lot of teams looking at him right now. And no. the money is a huge factor. The injury is a factor. And I think, honestly, and this is just me speaking, I think the way he's handled this has not helped it. And I know for a fact that him not having an agent has made this very difficult for the Ravens and obviously the other teams that possibly would consider it. But Jim Mercer said point blank last night, I will not give out guaranteed contracts. I do not believe in that at all, at all. He said it twice. And maybe Lamar doesn't need a guaranteed contract. Maybe he needs a little bit less than fully guaranteed. Mercer still doesn't want to have a situation where his quarterback is taking up $50 million of the cap preventing them from piecing together the other pieces of the roster that they need. And let's be honest, this roster is flawed. We saw their issues last year. They need to address some issues. And it just does I, I understand they're going to keep their options open, and there's no reason not to. 
there's no reason not to have a conversation, but I would say the odds are very, very long that that is an ultimate, and that's the outcome at this at the end of this. Zach Kiefer is our guest. He covers the Colts for the Athletic. He joins us here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. If we're to assume, and, and this is a really tough question, Zach, because we don't really know Shane Steichen yet, and, and looking at who he's worked with, he's worked with a cornucopia of different starting quarterbacks, but if, if we're to assume that it's either Levis or Richardson with the fourth pick, who do you think is the best Who's the best fit for what everyone wants? Just given what we know about Ursay, given what we know about Boward, and given what we know so far in, in the infancy of the coaching tenure of Shane Steichen. Yeah, that's a really good question. I got a little bit, little bit of info on that this past week. I went down to Kentucky, watched Will Levis throw. I went down to Ohio State, watched C.J. Stroud throw. I think we all know C.J. Stroud's not going to be there. Yeah. That would be surprising. But to answer your question, here's what my gut tells me. And if I'm wrong, I'll hop on on April 28th and you guys can kill me. I think it's Levis. I keep going back to what Steichen said at the Combine. He's looking for a guy that's obsessed, obsessed with football. And I hear a lot about Will Levis in that regard. Now, there are certainly flaws, right? The decisions, the tape, screams third-round pick sometimes and first-round pick others. You want that consistency. He's got the big arm. He's not super accurate. But I feel like that's a guy they can mold. I feel like Jalen Hurst took a huge step in terms of accuracy over the last two years. That was Steichen. That was Steichen. He's talked about how mechanics can improve accuracy. But the one thing you can't fake is that obsession with the game. And I'm not saying Richardson isn't obsessed, but his tape does not speak to first-round ability. He's better as a prospect right now than he is quarterback. And he only started 13 games at Florida and I, I promise if you guys out there, you go watch this tape, you go watch Richardson's tape, it will make you uneasy because there are times when he doesn't look like he's a top two pick. And then you watch him at the combine, the underwear Olympics, and he's a stud. He's maybe the most physically gifted quarterback in NFL history as a prospect. But in terms of needing that guy that's obsessed with the game and that's going to be in there, that's the vibe I got from Will Levis. I just feel like he's going to be all in right away, that obsessive quality that Steichen wants. Like he said, there was a point early with Jalen Hurts that he was like, this guy is so into football, so obsessed with it, that there's just no way he fails. And remember, Hurts was a second-round pick, and, and we'll talk about Will Levis possibly at four. So as of right now, I feel like that's the lean based on what I've heard from Steichen and Ballard. But it'll be Ballard's call, but I think Steichen's going to have a heavy say in this one. Last thing here, Zach, with the Colts moving on from Frank Reich, I think in the middle of last year you thought, oh man, are they also going to move on from Chris Boward? And ultimately, obviously, they chose not to move on from Chris Boward. But the fact that they're hiring a new head coach in Shane Steich and they're going to have a new quarterback for all intents and purposes you know, next year, even if it's Gardner Minshew, will technically be a new quarterback. Um, right. Are we locked into Chris Boward being the general manager of this team through 2024? But the decision just to bring him back for next year? No. It's funny you ask that. Frank Reich literally just walked right past me. So, uh, <laughs> good thing I had to step outside. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, I had, a, I had a good chat with Frank last night. Good to catch up with him. He seems really happy in Carolina. But to answer your question, that's exactly what I'm writing about right now. Ursay's answer was different, and that tells me something. He backed Chris Ballard through the, through the mess that was last year. Right? It was an absolute yeah. disaster. And Ursay was guilty, and Ballard was guilty, and the coaches were guilty, including Reich. They all had their hands dirty in that disaster. But by backing Ballard, he gave him complete autonomy with the coaching search. Ballard ran the coaching search and picked the coach, and Ballard is going to pick the quarterback. Make no mistake, unless Ursay has a huge problem out of nowhere, he's not going to step in and override them. 
So that tells me he's allowing Chris to fix the mistakes that he's made, right, to clean up the mess that he's made. But here's what Ursay wants to see. He wants to see proof. Now, he doesn't have a number in mind in terms of wins. He doesn't need them to go 500. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need this that, to play that game. But he says, you know when you know. You know when you know. He knew in 1998 the Colts were 3-13. They lost a bunch of close games late. He knew that they obviously they had Peyton. He knew they were about to turn the corner. Now, it's not the same situation. There's no Peyton Manning in this draft. And even if there was, Colts ain't getting them. But he wants to see something in terms of forward progress. He wants to see something that he can believe in in terms of Chris Ballard fixing this. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Ballard's under contract. We know that doesn't matter a whole lot with Jim Irsay. He will pay that money if he has to. Um, but I think that's going to what it's going to come down to. And Irsay said last night it's a gut feeling. And only one man can make that decision, and, and that's Jim Irsay. At Z Kiefer on Twitter and the Athletic app, if you're not already a subscriber, uh, they're running the one dollar deal, which is awesome, and they're they're just it, it's the best content that there is. And you can look at the Colts, you can look at anything you want on the Athletic app with a subscription. Thanks so much, Zach, and I hope you do uh, fit in some of that uh, to the golf, and I hope Kelsey forgives you for it. <laughs> she probably won't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thanks, man. Have a good one. That's Zach Kiefer. Great stuff from him. Um, about as tapped in as anybody that there is on the beat um, when it comes to the Colts. And that's just kind of what it struck me with, with the Chris Ballard situation to bring him back. And then hi, you, you know, you're hiring a new head coach and you know, you're going to have a new quarterback. It, it struck me as a two year, at least a two year decision because why would you, after what, like, like, let's say hypothetically the Colts, I don't know, draft will Levis. Okay, great. Colts draft Will Levis. They have a rookie quarterback and a first-year head coach next year, and they go 5-12. and 12. You're not firing Chris Bauer then, right? After one year? If that was the case, why would you bring him back at all to pick that head coach and pick that quarterback? So to me, and I know Ursay is not going to say this, but that decision to retain Ballard automatically to me became at least a two-year decision. And likely more. And I know the Colts have done this in the past, right? The Colts have done this at quarterback in the past, where you trade for Carson Wentz and you think, okay, with his contract the way that it is, this is a two-year thing. It ends up being a one-year thing. With Matt Ryan, no, this isn't just a one-year thing, guys. This is like a three-year, four-year thing. He's got a lot in in the tank. He was a disaster from the get-go. You know, didn't even last a year. Got benched almost immediately. So the Colts have been down this road before where you've thought something that they were signing up for was going to be more than just a one-year thing. But with Ballard, it, it just... It wouldn't make sense to me. Say what you want about Ballard, and, and look, I, I know there are people that are pro-Ballard, that are anti-Ballard. I am I am kind of a Ballard uh, skepticist. I, I was much more of a Frank Reich apologist than I am a Chris Ballard apologist. And I think Reich is going to, I don't know, prove me right. Uh, I, I think he's going to do a good job in Carolina, and, and maybe the people that are firmly anti-Frank Reich will change their tune a little bit. At least I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the case because he's a good guy and he seems like worth rooting for. So, so does Boward, right? But with where they are and this roster in flux, it, it just doesn't make sense to me unless you were giving him a pass for everything that happened and saying, okay, here's your mulligan, build it back up again. Building it back up takes more than a year. Even in the NFL, where, where turnarounds can be very quick. So at the end of year two, or I guess it would be year eight at that point for Chris Bauer, but let's let's say the end of the 2024 season, if the Colts still aren't showing notable progress and they're like, I don't know, four and 13 or whatever, then yeah, you probably move on at that point. But with where they are right now 
and you made that decision with all of the newness at quarterback and with head coach, and you're trusting this person to make those decisions, then clearly you're trusting them to see those decisions through. And you need to see more than one year to know that Shane Steichen's the right guy. You need to see more than one year to know Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, insert next quarterback for the Colts here is the right guy. So, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in that observation, but that, that's what struck me about that. that. That's what we weren't really talking about. Like, when when the Colts decided, okay, hey, Ballard's coming back, I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, okay, well, he's going to get one last chance. That's it. He's at the end of his rope. No, he doesn't seem to be at the end of his rope at all. The, the Colts aren't operating like Chris Ballard's job is in any sort of jeopardy right now. Now, if things can change. I mean, last year right now, it didn't feel like Frank Reich's job was in jeopardy, and then he ended up losing his job in the middle of the season. But how the Colts have operated so far, what they've done, what they've said, basically every action of this team from January to right now doesn't indicate that Chris Ballard is in danger of going anywhere anytime soon. And I know that there are a lot of people that probably have a problem with that. Because this is a results business. And look, the Colts have had a lot of bad luck and they've had a lot of stuff happen to them that isn't necessarily Ballard's fault. But they had a lot of bad luck and a lot of bad stuff that happened to them that wasn't Frank Reich's fault and they gassed him out. You know, the fact that they haven't won what is viewed as kind of a trash pile division and one playoff win... Like, I don't think it's just about that. Uh, if you evaluated Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano just on that, those guys both looked like they knew what they were doing, and, and neither of them were good at their jobs. And it took a while to kind of figure that out. I think people realized that with Grigson more early on than not, and it took most people a little bit longer to figure that out with Pagano. But, you know, I, I think both of those guys were very mediocre and what they did. I don't think Ryan Grigson's the worst general manager. I don't think Chuck Pagano's the worst head coach in the world, but I think both of those guys were, were mediocre at their jobs. And their win totals and all of that, the results, if you will, look better than the results that Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard ended up putting together. So I'll give Ballard a little bit of a break on the results, but at some point, the process has to yield a result. Like, the process has been good. The, the Colts not throwing money around in free agency. Like, that's a, that's a good process. That's a good way to build an NFL team drafting so far. Yeah, there have been some misses. There are misses for everybody. Bill Polian had misses. The The process so far drafting-wise and the results there have been pretty good. But what hasn't happened is there hasn't been tangible on-field success to point to and say, look, we did this. We accomplished this. Because I can tell you that Jim Irsay is not sitting on his golf cart going through the DVOA rankings and saying, oh, hey, you know, uh, we were ninth in DVOA in 2021. All right. Top 10 DVOA. Who cares? That's nice. That that projects uh, uh, what you can be, but if you don't back that up with anything, then who cares? You don't play for that. You don't pay these guys for that. Chris Ballard isn't paid to build a, a DVOA winner and look good in advanced metrics. He's he's paid for on-field results, and the Colts just haven't had enough of that so far. Two three nine ten seventy. Uh, let's go to Warwick on the listener lines. Hi, Warwick. Eric Schultz, my man, great to hear you on the radio. Thanks, man. Thanks for calling. Hey, um, what my gut feeling is, is that the Colts, uh, what Steichen probably likes that hooker guy out of Tennessee. 
And I was wondering, first of all, is that realistic to try to trade back somewhere to get him? And secondly, what would they do with the number four pick if that's what they wanted to do with Hooker? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if Hendon Hooker is your guy, then I think obviously you you trade back. You probably aren't waiting around for him to fall in your lap. You probably trade back to later in the first round because I'm assuming that's where he's going to end up going. The problem with that work is that, you know, the Colts keep talking about this, you know, slow build and all of that and building it back up. Hendon Hooker's 25. So oh, yeah. if, if you're projecting that you want to be in contention again in 2025, at that point he's going to be, you know, 27, 28 years old. And uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be that that would be that that would fall in line with what the Colts want as their quarterback, you know, if, forget the fact that if they traded out of four and traded back, um, all hell would break loose because everyone's expecting yeah. them to take a quarterback with that spot. Yeah. Well, uh, who would you like to see him take it for Richardson or uh, the guy from Kentucky? I, I think, and thanks for the call work. Um, you could talk me into either of those guys. I like Richardson more simply because I think he can already be elite as a runner. And to me, you can kind of, if you have somebody like that, like Jalen Hurts is a good example, you can have him impact the game already while you teach him everything else. Like everything that Anthony, and we'll talk about this more with Zach Hicks coming up in, in the five o'clock hour. Everything with Anthony Richardson, footwork and, and, and all of that, all of that stuff is teachable. You can, you can coach that. What you can coach is his physical gifts. And not that Levis doesn't have that. Levis has got a huge arm, 6'4". I mean, Levis looks the part too, but being as elite as he is, I think an immediate threat with his legs is what really entices me about Richardson because, you know, if you bring in a guy that can't move and then you end up realizing, oh crap, this dude can't throw either. It's just kind of a recipe for disaster because you can't coach that up and develop that when he can't be on the field. Like, that player is not playable. Even if Anthony Richardson is struggling as a passer, I think he can still be playable, and Shane Steichen can still accentuate his traits and and his skills, what he's ready to do right away, and have that be a weapon while you're developing and teaching and learning everything else with Anthony Richardson. So that's in and the upside play. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to the scouts. They're the ones that supposedly the experts, even though no one really knows, right? Quarterback stuff is just a complete crapshoot. But everyone seems to say that Richardson's ceiling is higher and maybe the highest of anybody of this group of Stroud, of Young, of, you know, forget Levis, of this whole group. And if you really want to put yourself out there and take a swing, hell, swing for the fences. Let's go. You know, I say that, and then he ends up being a 45% passer, and he's benched in the middle of year two, and we're having the same conversation in March 28th of 2025, right? <laughs> two, three, nine, 10, 70. We'll step away from football probably for the only time today. Talk a little college hoops. John Fanta, Fox Sports, talking Final Four. He'll be down in Houston, and he joins us next. It's the Ride with JMV, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
The Ride with JMV. It takes him a second to get on the stool because he's under 5 feet tall. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Is that stool comment a shot at me? Did you put that in there, James? I did not specifically. Because no. I've got this cranked up all the way for the YouTube audience, but I'm I'm not under 5 feet. I'm 5 foot 6 with shoes on. want to make sure that people knew that. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz. I am super geeked to talk about this next person and, and have him on the show because he is always super geeked to talk about college hoops. I don't think there's anyone more excited than John Fanta, a college hoops analyst for Fox Sports in the field of 68 when it comes to college basketball in general, but also the Final Four. He's going to be down in Houston. And John, are you just ready to sprint downstairs Saturday morning and rip open that FAU and San Diego State box under the tree or what? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Derek. I can't wait. I'm excited. And I think that this final four should be acknowledged for what it is, a direct reflection of the current state of college basketball, which can deliver something that college football cannot. and something that other sports would like to deliver from time to time. Jim Laranega, the Miami head coach, said it best yesterday. He goes, look, should we have this type of final four every year? I love this, Derek, because Laranega is so real. He's so real that he's a participating coach in the Final Four that said this. He goes, should we have a Final Four like this every year? He goes, probably not. He's like, no, we we probably shouldn't because fans identify with certain programs. But, but, the madness, viewership, interest, thought process, buzz, when you're filling out a bracket next year, I guarantee you, you're going to be more inclined to pick somebody random to pick somebody crazy because we've now reached the point where in college hoops, the madness doesn't just stop after one weekend. It can continue. Teams can pull it off. They can, they're not just a one hit wonder. They could win four games in a row and not for nothing. We don't have a team that was in the last four in, in this final four. We don't have a double digit seed in this final four. We have a team that came from an 8-9 game. Guess what? Carolina did that last year. Yep. Florida Atlantic's 35-3. and three. San Diego State's 31-6. and, and six. UConn down, started the season 14-0, and 0, and Miami went to the Elite Eight a year ago. These programs all deserve to be there, and it's going to be interesting in Houston to see how it plays out. But one thing's for certain. The way this tournament's gone, expect the unexpected. Don't just put chalk up as to who you think's going to win it all. I, I think that would be speaking too soon. Yeah, I was going to say, because UConn is a pretty heavy favorite, and if anything, what we've seen so far says that maybe no one should be the heavy favorite. But I did want to talk about the Huskies, John, because I know the Big East is, you know, you're obviously a national analyst now, but that's kind of where you came up. And right before Christmas, they came out here to Indy, and they thrashed Butler. Now, a lot of teams thrashed Butler this year, but they were 12-0 and at that point. I think they were number three in the polls, if I'm not mistaken. And then over the next month, they lost six of eight. They had a, a five and six start in Big East conference play. What changed for UConn after that? Because this now, what we're seeing, seems like the team that they were destined to be in November and December. Yeah, I think what changed is they figured out what they needed to do with Andre Jackson. So during their slump, Jackson, the junior, dynamic six foot seven wing. He was really struggling to, to find a role on the offensive end of the floor, Derek. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was in his own head with his jump shot. Uh, he would attempt to drive the lane. He'd be a charging foul. So 
the UConn staff sort of went back into the war room and said, all right, how do we positionally put this guy at a place on the floor that allows him to not be uncomfortable with his game? Well, guess what they did? They said, you know what? We're going to put him on the baseline, and we're going to have him flash in. Or if he gets the ball, he'll get it at the elbow, and he'll make a play for somebody else because he is big. He's an imposing figure at six foot seven. He's long. So they changed up his role. And by changing up his role, they uncovered an asset to the team that they had not had. One of the biggest questions with this Connecticut team was point guard play entering the year. One of the biggest questions with Purdue was point guard play entering the year. They answered that for the first three, four months of the season, and then teams caught up with them. They really failed to adapt, to be candidly honest. UConn did adapt. You can adapt it because I think Hurley and staff acknowledge the fact that the guy that they had playing point guard, Tristan Newton, is good. He's having a good year. But he's not otherworldly great. He's not, he's not a point guard, a national championship point guard, the point guards that you kind of put in that class. He's a good point guard. So, okay, how do we find another playmaker? They found it in the form of Jackson. In the last two games, he has totaled 17 assists. Wow. He's a six foot seven wing. He's creating for people. He's setting up. He's not setting up like Jordan Hawkins catching shoot three. So for the people out there who are like, well, you got to make shots to get assists. No, right now, Derek, what's happening is this guy's getting the ball inside the arc. He's driving. People are coming to him, and he is drawing those defenders and passing it off to Sudogo or Klingon or Alex Caravan, and they are scoring easy baskets. UConn right now has a point wing, and he is playing like a pro. What are the – when you look at – I don't want to crown them before it happens, John, because there's still two games to play here. But now that they're back four. in the Final Four again, and they've had six Final Fours now in the last quarter century, right? Four titles on there with the potential for a fifth. We've got this rarefied era of blue bloods in the sport, right? Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, throw UCLA in there as well. And that's like an untouchable group, I feel like, like those five. But now does UConn have enough of a sample size here when you're talking 25, 30 years? Have they ascended to the point where they're firmly near the top of that next tier, like Louisville and, you know, I would love to still put Indiana. I don't know if people think of Indiana in that same breath anymore, but like that that grouping of teams from six to ten. So here's the deal. If Connecticut wins the national championship on Monday night, they will have five national championships under three different head coaches since 1999. Nobody else in college basketball would possess more than three, which means, and that being Carolina, which means they would own a quarter century. They would own a quarter century of the sport with the five out of 25. So, in my opinion, if they win this national championship, they absolutely are on the top of the class two. And I think it's respectable to say that they're in class yeah. one in the A class if they win this championship. Because you're talking about five, five over the course of a quarter century. And here's why it's different this time they're in the Big East, they're in. The, the mighty Big East, this traditional league, they're part of the fabric of it. 
Uh, they're in a league that's gotten better here in March from a brand perspective. Rick Pitino at St. Don's makes it feel like the 80s again. Ed Coley making this villain, this move from Providence to Georgetown. That drives up the interest. It drives up attention. Marquette's really, really good. Xavier's really, really good. Creighton keeps tasting these deep tournament runs under Greg McDermott. Like, tell me why this league can't be one in college basketball in, in a year or two based on what it's done with the upgrade of programs that have been near the bottom of it. Unfortunately, Butler right now is 10th or 11th in this league. They just are. But the fact is, UConn, being in this Northeast Corridor-based league where they own Connecticut, but they own the New York area, they do have a great fan base, they are a traditional brand, this is how you do it. When you can climb the mountaintop and win a national championship after returning to this league, you can remind everybody that as they're talking about Tobacco Road and they're talking about Allen Fieldhouse and they're talking about UCLA, UConn can belong in that class because they are a state school. They have a rich fan base. They have a rich tradition of NBA players. And this run has served as their arrival back to college basketball's top map. And whereas they were going to the American 10 years ago when they last won it, instead here, Connecticut is in a league that allows them to be on big broadcast TV and get big-time exposure where they can just parlay it into more. You mentioned those upgrades for some of the teams that were occupying the same tier as Butler lately in the Big East, like St. John's and Georgetown with their coaching staffs. Look, I know Butler has, I think, the world of Thad Mata, and I'm convinced that he's going to figure out a way to at least steady the ship and right the ship. But given the strength of the league, John, and looking around and just some of the observations that you just made, don't you have to be worried if you're a Butler fan about their trajectory in that league and how difficult it's going to be to climb back up again? Yeah, you've got to be concerned. You have to be concerned if you're a Butler fan because I don't know who you're replacing. It's, it's like anything, folks. It's like if you're a Colts fan when, when maybe they were finishing in third or, you know, uh, like it, it, here's the thing. You, you don't just make – if you're going to make a move up, other teams have to move down. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be replacing those teams. And right now, but, I mean, this past year, Butler didn't have the talent that other teams in the Big East had. And that's where it starts. When coaches say, well, you got to have great players, where that really gets felt is, like, you've got to – You've got to be able to have talent that can consistently compete night to night in this league. And this past year, Butler didn't have that. If they were beating teams, it was more surprising than it was expected. And it was Ohinkle magic. I mean, they couldn't win on the road. They really struggled away from Hinkle. And then even inside Hinkle, they just, I mean, look what UConn has done to them since coming back to the Big East. They've really manhandled them. So, it's, that's, that's where it's got to start. Like, I, I don't know what exactly it is, but Famata and, and his staff have got to just get their hands dirty and start bringing in some players because it, the talent the past couple of years hasn't been up to stuff to be able to win in your league. And that's a problem. I think Famata can coach. I think he had a team this year that didn't fit his identity. But now in the era of the transfer portal and in the era where you can quickly turn a roster – Gone are the days there. Gone are the days where you could say it's going to be three or four years, and then we'll we'll have this thing really churning. Yeah, 
No, you can turn this quickly, but you've got to get to work and do it on the recruiting trailway. No doubt. John Fanta joins us, Fox Sports, Field of 68. Uh, here in Big Ten country, John, I wanted to get your national perspective here. Um, I'll be honest. I don't like using a single elimination random tournament to make broad statements about conference strength. Like, you know, Miami is good. The ACC wasn't good. It wasn't a good league this year. Miami doesn't change that to me. The Big 12 was a great league. They don't have a, a Final Four participant this year, and that, that doesn't change that for me. But is it an issue, and, and why, I guess, from your observation, has it been such an issue that the Big Ten – continually send seven, eight, nine teams to this tournament, and they just, not only are they not winning it, like at least in the 2000s, you had Illinois, you had IU make a run, you know, you had teams Michigan State in 09, you had teams make the title game or make Final Fours, and they're not even doing that anymore. Why is that, do you think? A couple things. Number one, a predictable playing style. So let's start with Purdue. Purdue was the team that you said by the end of the year, you know what, we'll allow the floor to shrink. We'll allow Mr. Eady to have his 30 points if it means we're cutting off everybody on the perimeter. Because if we do that, we can find a way to win. We'll make enough threes. We will trade your twos if it means we're getting threes. So that's the big thing. And the same could be felt with Indiana. Indiana's perimeter play was never consistent this past season. Now, losing Xavier Johnson certainly tough. Jalen Huchifino had a great year. But, like, it was inconsistent. It was inconsistent, and they, they had a nice regular season, but they were never consistent from a guard play perspective. This is a guard's game. And because of the way college basketball is structured now, there are some really, really good guards at the mid-major level that could play and that could control a game. You could have all the big men that you want, but it doesn't matter if you don't have the guard play to initiate, to dictate the way the game's being played. I think also the Big Ten's level of physicality in their regular season. Then when these teams get to the tournament, there's two things. Number one, the game gets officiated differently. What wasn't a foul in the Big Ten is now a foul in the NCAA tournament. And two, you're worn down. These teams are worn down. They're not playing their best. Now, I'm not here to say, like, I'm not coming on your air and saying that the Big Ten is some crummy league and isn't good enough. Like, no, it's a good league. The Big Ten's a deep league. I stack its depth up against just about anybody most years. It is a quality conference. Stylistically, these teams don't play a way that's sustainable to win four, five, six games in a row in the NCAA tournament. Something systematically has to change. You can both say that the Big Ten is a quality league and that it's not just coincidence that this is happening every single year where these teams are bowing out early. Under no circumstances should Purdue be losing to FDU. Under no circumstances should Indiana basically get run off the floor by Miami. It wasn't close. It wasn't close. These teams have to figure some certain things out because right now – Illinois against Arkansas, not a game, not a game. Something systematically has to change. It's why Penn State actually had a great year, won a tournament game for the first time in a couple decades. You know why? Micah Shrewsbury was playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers. And his style ended up lending itself to being unique and different in the Big Ten. Same thing could be said of Northwestern. Northwestern played a little bit unorthodox, a little bit different, and it led them to winning. you got to try some different things. you got to play some different ways. 
right now it's like the Big Ten has this collective brand of basketball, but it's not proving to be successful in the NCAA tournament. John Fanta's brand proving to be successful everywhere you see him. Fox Sports, Field of 68. You can follow him on Twitter, at John underscore Fanta. A must-follow, especially this week for Final Four. Have a great time down in Houston. Appreciate your time, my man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Derek. Anytime. Great to be with you. Great stuff from John Fanta. I've got a, a quick John Fanta story. So this was... God, I don't know, 20... It was when Butler was still good. <laughs> uh, 20, 20... This would have been like the Keelan Martin era. So they, they had a couple of teams. You know, Kamar Baldwin had a couple of good teams, including the COVID year that got shut down in 20, where they were pretty good. So th- this was more like 2017, 2018. And, you know, Big Ten Network has Big Ten Network. So, you, you know, you have Rob Hummel or uh, Mike DeCourcy or, you know, I, I know Hummel's since gone with ESPN and all, and all that. Um Meg McEwen, um, you have all these experts that you can kind of go to on your show. And I knew there was a Big East network. And when Butler was playing in the Big East, I was like, well, I, you know, I kind of want to get somebody on to break down these other teams because unlike the Big Ten, I wasn't really watching. I wasn't constantly inundated with Michigan, Michigan State, Illinois, because I'm watching them every time they play Purdue. I'm watching them every time they play Indiana. I'm, I'm watching them on a random Wednesday night when they're playing each other. I, you know, I'm not watching Marquette play Providence. I'm just I I'm not watching that, um, or at least at that time I wasn't watching that. So I wanted to get an expert to come on the show, and I look at the Big East Network like roster on their website, and there's this this kid that is um, a, a Seton Hall. I think he was a senior at Seton Hall at that point, and you know he has glasses and and he's got a big smile on his face, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll click on this video with John Fanta. And he's just totally gassed up about like a, a you know Wednesday night Marquette Providence game. Just completely gassed up. He's a 22 year old kid, and just so much energy and passion about it. And I said we, we got to have him on the show. So I told Jake Query, who now does the morning show. This is when uh, before they fired us. This is <laughs> when we still had an afternoon radio show. I said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have this you know kid, this John Fanta on the show, and we, I want him to kind of be a regular uh, when we're talking Butler and all that. So we had John on. I don't know, during the season, probably four, five, six times, something like that. And this was just when he was doing Big East stuff only. And now he's really ascended. He's got like 50,000 Twitter followers. You know, he's well into his late 20s now because we're talking about this was seven, eight years ago. But good for him. He's doing some play-by-play as well. But I'm telling you, if you're a big college hoops fan, you got to check out John Fanta. Um, really really good guy, knows his stuff. He, he knows everything about every team that's out there and all of their issues, strengths, weaknesses. So that's why I told James, because James texted me yesterday. He's like, hey, man, you know, you're filling in for JMV tomorrow. Who do you want on the show? And I said, uh, and I passed along John's cell phone number. I said, you got to reach out to John and have him on to talk Final Four. The Big Ten stuff, I, I wish I had an answer for it. I, I don't. Um, I think you can point to the officiating. I, I think that's a reason, too. Um, Big Ten teams don't often know to how to adjust or it takes them a while to adjust to non-Big Ten officiating crews because Big Ten officiating is just kind of all over the place and it's just a much different animal when you're in a tournament setting against an ACC team. Uh, I I don't judge, again, kind of like I said with John, I am very hesitant to use the NCAA tournament as the end-all be-all for conference success because, again, the ACC stunk this year. That was not a good league. Miami's good. The ACC stinks. So them making a run doesn't really change anything for me. Like, if Gonzaga won the national championship, that wouldn't suddenly make 
Pepperdine and Portland and whatever high school teams they have in that league, that, that wouldn't make that any better. Gonzaga won because Gonzaga's really good. But the fact that you've, you're sending like seven, eight, nine teams to the tournament every year and you're not even having anybody come out of the first weekend is, or you're having like one team like Michigan State just happens to survive out of nine teams of the first weekend. It's just, it's embarrassing. And uh, I, I root for this, you know, the Midwest, like, yay, Midwest, yay, fight, win, the whole deal. I, I want to see the brand recognition be there on the coast and the respect level for Purdue and Indiana and all of that. I, I want them to have that. But with the league struggling the way that it is in March, um, it's tough because it just it definitely doesn't fit that narrative. But it's more than just a narrative now. You know, these last couple of years, it's just been uh, the results haven't been there, period. Two three nine ten seventy. We're going to take some phone calls. Uh, top of the hour. Back into the Colts with Zach Hicks. It's the ride with JMV. 93.5, The fan. Don't go anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Ahoy, Paloy. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Thanks again to John Fanta for joining us. Top of the hour, we'll have Zach Hicks on to talk more Colts. But a couple of you have been waiting patiently at 239-1070. Let's start with Matthew here. I'm hoping this is the Matthew that I was... Um, expecting a fellow New Englander kind of like me. Is that the right Matthew? I know Matthew's a pretty wide-ranging name. Yes, it's the right one. Gotcha. So this is Maine Matthew. I saw you in the lounge chatting it up with everybody. I was kind of scrolling through there during one of the commercial breaks in the YouTube lounge, and, you know, I'm an outsider, right? I'm just filling in for JMV, but, you know, most of the time I have no idea what's going on in there, but it looks like you guys are having a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Always. It's a blast. (laughs) So do you have a a Colts thing that you wanted to talk about, or what do you want to dial up about today, Matthew? No, I wanted to talk a little Final Four with college hoops. I really want FAU to win, but I'm concerned they're probably not going to get past San Diego State. Yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, Just the fact that they're in this position, I think, is pretty incredible. Um, You know, I don't want to short sell them. They're not George Mason or anything like that. Uh, You know, this is a team. If you win 35 games, I don't care what level you're at. 35-game winner, you're you're pretty good, but – it would be great, you know, with the Indiana tie, with, with John L. Davis being from Gary, um, and, and of course, Dusty May and Green County and, and all of that, I'm uh, I'm pulling hard for FAU. But um, it's a great story. I mean, e- either way you shake it, I don't think the Mountain West has had an Elite Eight team, much less a Final Four team ever. So for San Diego State to do this as well, that's a, a big deal for that league. Yeah, I agree. That's what I love about March, because I would never hear these schools otherwise. No, I mean, yeah, who who could have told you what, and thanks for the call, Matthew, who could have told you what FAU's mascot was before, you know, this whole run here? Probably, you know, I didn't know. Owls, it's pretty badass, I guess, that it's an owl, but I had no idea that was the case. Can I? Do I have time to fit in, Larry, real quick, or do I have to break? Okay, let, let's fit it. Larry, I got about 30 seconds here, but I know you've been waiting patiently, so I wanted to get you on. Hi, Larry. Uh, yes, I graduated from the University of Indianapolis on the south side. We have a lot of uh, sports people down in that area, too. We got a coach, a local one down there in basketball, and he had a fantastic year this last year. And They're going to be in the, probably Division One soon. They keep going like they're going, and I'd like to, to start throwing in some uh, opportunity for us to, like we do Butler and some of the other schools around, 
to pick up on University of Annapolis for the South Siders and for other people. And I even live on the North Side, but I graduated from there. So I, I was wondering what you thought about that. Yeah, good old UND. I got no problem. I, I spent uh, many a Saturday afternoon at Key Stadium and um, Chris Kevers. They've got a great football program down there. And what they've been doing this year in basketball with the national ranking and, and hosting tournament games. Uh, I'm cool with you, Indy. I got no problem. I, I mean, I got to talk to John about that. He's the full-time host of the show. But I'll, I'll leave a note for John. Talk more, you Indy Greyhounds. And I'm sure he'll oblige. Zach Hicks, Colts Talk, top of the hour. It's next, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. It's party time. P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta... 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Thanks so much for coming along for the ride, even without JMV here. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. John will be back tomorrow. I believe this is spring break related, though I'm not sure I didn't want to pry, but appreciate coming back here. And It's like riding a bike, right? Do radio for a while. You get fired from radio. Do some other stuff. Come back. Do radio again. Just get your feet on the pedals and get moving. Colts looking to get moving this offseason in a variety of different ways as they try to stop this franchise from sliding. You know, for many years we were saying, well, the Colts need to shift it out of neutral because they're just spinning their tires. Last year the car caught on fire. Trying to extinguish those flames is Jim Irsay. He's down there in Arizona in the owners' meetings, and we're talking quarterbacks, we're talking draft. And who better to have on to discuss those things than Zach Hicks. He's the Colts analyst for the Horseshoe Huddle, part of the SI.com family, co-host of Locked On Colts as well, a must-follow for you Colts fans. And he joins us right now on the guest line. Zach, did we fix the Indy, Indiana thing from earlier today when you're pointing out guys and where they're from? I just want to make sure that somebody helped you with that. Yeah, somebody helped me. You know, I'm, I'm look, guys. I'm not native. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the difference between Indy and Indiana. I thought I was just shorthanding it, but no, I was I was politely corrected by quite a few people that Indy is in is Indianapolis, yep. and then Indiana is Indiana. Like, don't don't mix those two. So I was politely corrected. I, I'm glad that it was politely corrected, though. Or you could say Hoosier, but then the Purdue people get upset. So yeah, you just go with Indiana native for Indiana, and then Indy. I'm, I'm glad that everybody was kind and gentle about pointing that out and and steering you in the right direction. Um, I'm sure you've been inundated just like we all have with this Lamar Jackson stuff. Uh, give me kind of your thoughts on him. Let's assume that he's in a situation with a competent head coach and, and team infrastructure. Is he, in your eyes, a, a franchise-altering type player at quarterback? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many league MVPs are there in the history of the sport? You know, one per year that we've had, like, and he was one of them at such a young age. Uh, just a phenomenal football player. Uh, just adds so much. Like, he's just such a dynamic player running the football, you know, and I know the whole league is based around throwing the ball, but when you have a quarterback that is that dynamic uh, in his ability to get out of the pocket and his ability to run and just create, like you get so much in terms of negating sacks, so much in terms of creating big plays when stuff isn't actually there for a lot of quarterbacks. Like he makes your offense so much better and he raises the entire floor of your team having a quarterback like that. And then when it's all clicking, like we saw a couple years ago, he's a league MVP caliber guy. Uh, you know, we, we've seen some issues, obviously, the last couple of years with injuries and, and just the lack of cohesion there with the Ravens. But, yeah, this is a franchise-altering quarterback. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to get to a question here in a second about if we think the Colts could actually do it. But just aside from that, man, Lamar Jackson is so fun to watch, such a great quarterback, and – if he were to somehow be an indie, like I'd be a huge fan. I'd, I'd go get a jersey right now. Like that, 
that's a great player. It's a franchise quarterback. And, and yeah, the Colts would be lucky to get a player like that. I think there's just a difference with, with that question, Zach. It's there's a big difference between should they do it, which is right, probably yes, uh, given his skill set, and will they do it, which is uh, all signs seem, at least to me, to point to no. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, again, we're talking uh, a record breaking deal, and Jim Ursa even came out last night and, and kind of shot down a lot of Lamar Jackson stuff when he was at the owners' meeting. You know, he said, how bad he's been wanting a rookie quarterback for the last couple of years, ever since the Phillip Rivers season, how bad he wanted a rookie quarterback. Uh, and then he also spoke against uh, fully guaranteed deals. Now, we don't know the exact contract negotiations between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, so we don't know if he actually is seeking a fully guaranteed deal, but it does seem like he is. Uh, again, I don't want to speculate too much there, but if he is fully wanting a guaranteed deal – Jim Mercer literally just said last night, you know, he's kind of against it and he thinks it would be bad for the sport. So there's a lot of moving parts here. I mean, on top of that, you know, the Colts could clear up all this space, offer him the contract that he wants, and then the Ravens could say, no, we're going to match it. And you just cleared up a ton of space and pushed money into void years and, and hurt your, you know, long-term potential of your team for a guy that's not even going to come to you. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really, really tricky situation. Uh, and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, trade for his rights first. I mean, then that would be way more than the two first-round picks we're looking at because if you're the Ravens, I mean, you're getting two first-round picks regardless if a trade happens. So if you're trading for his rights before making a tra- contract offer, you're probably giving up more than those two first-round picks because the Ravens already have that minimum. You know, so yeah. it, it's a tough negotiation, and I understand why some teams are hesitant of it. Uh, personally, again, I, I think this is a franchise-altering guy, and I would go do it, but I don't see the Colts or, or really any team trying to make this happen. Like, it's just – it's a tough situation. I think if I had to put money down, I'd say that things kind of rekindle with the Ravens and him before he ends up playing somewhere else. We're talking with Zach Hicks, Colts analyst, Horseshoe Huddle, Locked On Colts podcast as well that he hosts with Jake Arthur. He joins us on the guest line. It's the Ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I want you to do a uh, because you're a great film guy and you're great at breaking these quarterbacks down. I'd like you to do a best thing, worst thing with the two quarterbacks who will likely be talked about at and, and outside of the top two where the Colts are picking it for. And that's Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. So, what's the best thing about Will Levis, and then what's the worst thing from what you've seen about Will Levis? Yeah. So again, the first thing when you look at Will Levis, you think of the arm talent, you think of the traits and the upside, but honestly. I will say the best thing about Will Levis is the personality and the person because we have seen so many guys like him. You know, the big, strong arm quarterback that wasn't super productive, but, you know, did a little bit there in college. We've seen so many of those guys over the years. We've seen Drew Locke. We've seen Mitch Trubisky. We've seen Zach Wilson. I think what separates Will Levis from those guys is who he is. You know, I, I again, I don't know this guy personally, but you can see in all the interviews, you can see in the way that teammates talk about him. It's, it's just a different feel than a Mitch Trubisky or a Zach Wilson. You know, these, these guys are ride or die for, the, for him. He's been a team captain there at Kentucky the last couple of years. Uh, he's a guy who worked on his mechanics and has that ability to grow and get better. And I just think that's what really separates him from the cliched bust that look like him, you know, in the past. And, and it even separates him from the Carson Wentz comparison. You know, I, I know a lot of people want to throw the Carson Wentz thing, but I think that really separates him. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's that's the best trait about him. And if we're talking worst trait, it's just that he's he's a guy who never put it together, and he's going to be 24 on, on the opening day of the season. I've had mm-hmm. one guy come at me a lot saying that he's 23 right now. 
He's going to be 24 on day one. Okay, guys, he's going to be 24 on week one of the NFL season this next year. And he's still a guy who has a ways to go in terms of his footwork, in terms of decision-making, in terms of just overall cohesion and offense. And that's concerning because if you're taking a guy top five and he's 24 years old or going to be 24 years old, you want him to be ready. And I do think he's ready to play day one, but I don't think he's ready to thrive day one. Uh, and most rookies aren't, but I, I think he's further back than some other guys. So, yeah, I would say the best thing about him is just that personality and who he is and the ability to grow. Uh, worst thing about him is, you know, there's still more to go with him, and he's already going to be 24 years old. Let's do the same with Richardson. Best thing and worst thing about the Florida quarterback. Yeah, so so best thing about him, and honestly, I'm going to say it's it's just the willing – it's just – not the willingness, it's the ability to adjust to pressure, you know, and, and we see this with so many young guys who have poor completion percentage or poor accuracy. It's, you know, the second that pressure closes in, their feet get rattled, they're, they're running all over the place, they're throwing balls out of bounds. And I'm not saying Richardson doesn't have that sometimes on film, but when you watch him on film, this is a guy who moves really well in the pocket, who's nearly impossible to bring down in the pocket because of how big and strong he is. And then when he gets outside of the pocket, he can create uh, with extra yards with his feet. He can get out of there and, and throw the ball on the run and make some good passes. So this is a guy where pressure doesn't really phase him for such a young player who just doesn't have much field experience. Uh, so I think that's a really impressive thing, and that's something you really build upon with a young player. Uh, but when you go to the negatives, you know, I honestly don't even know if this is really him. It's just kind of the, the fallacy with everyone looking at him is the fallacy that if you can get better doesn't mean you're going to get better. You know, this is a guy where you're looking at the potential, you're looking at what he can be, but that doesn't mean that's what he's going to be. Because as of right now, like if you're going on a scale of one to 10, like he's like a two or a three in terms of what he currently is in the football field. There's a lot of great things about his game and what he can be, but you can't get sucked into that. Like, Oh, he's absolutely going to get better. He's always going to get up to this top level He's a guy where he needs a lot of time, needs a lot of work, needs a lot of things to go right. But that potential is great. So, yeah, again, best thing is this is a young kid who reacts to pressure really well uh, for his age and for his experience. Uh, But the biggest concern is, look, right now he's not close to where you want him to be. And you can't make that that just fallacy of thinking he's definitely going to get there one day. There seems to be, with Richardson, this narrative that – He's total boomer bust, and you know I think we'd all agree that the, the, on the boom part. But you have seemed to buck against the fact that uh, you know his floor is as low as some. I, I think fans just default that way, Zach, because generally speaking, with the elite level athletes, that and you're banking on those elite traits, those are the guys that have a, a really low floor. But you don't think that's the case with Richardson? No, I, I, honestly, if you look at the modern trend of NFL football, look at these mobile quarterbacks these last couple of years. And yes, their first couple seasons, you might get like a 53% passer or a 58% passer. I mean, Jalen Hurts, his first year as a starter in 2021, uh, Josh Allen back in 2018, Lamar Jackson uh, in 2018, the second half when he played, you know, these were not efficient passers. These were not guys who came in and lit the world on fire. But I think what a lot of people forget is what these guys add in the rushing game raises your floor so much in an offense because you're not only looking at these guys where it's like, okay, he threw for 3,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 10 picks. You know, oh, this is a horrible season. Oh, but on top of that, he ran for 800 yards, and he ran for three touchdowns or ran for four touchdowns, whatever it is. So then you're looking at the end of the season. It's like, oh, 
nearly 4,000 total yards on offense, over 20 touchdowns to 10 picks. Like, we can build on that. Whereas if you're looking at a pocket passer, you know, what you get passing-wise is what you're going to get at the end of the day. Uh, Mobile passers like Anthony Richardson raise the floor so much because they're just going to keep creating yardage even when they're not as effective as passers. So, yeah, I do push back a little bit on the floor is so low because at the end of the day, if you have a good offense coordinator or a good play caller like a Shane Steichen who knows how to work these guys in the run game, you're going to always have a higher floor for your offense than someone with an ineffective pocket passing quarterback. I know you kind of alluded to this about you know not being ready on day one. I really don't love the idea of somebody sitting, but with Levis or Richardson, in your opinion, do they need to sit to start off and, and have it be Minshew to start? Or are you willing and, and could they be ready to roll with them uh, coming up week one? Yeah, I think Will Levis, you have to throw him out there week one. I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who's going to be 24, only a couple years younger than Gardner Minshew. Uh, and, and he's a guy who's been in two NFL offenses, you know, two fairly normalized NFL offenses. Yes, they were the bare bones versions of, of NFL offenses, but they were like, he knows the terminology. He knows what needs to be done uh, and he knows what reads to make. Uh, even if he wasn't consistently making them in college, he knows what has to be done where Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I could be talking to him sitting. And, and I think, you know, that might do him some, some favors with his poor mechanics right now with his, Ability, But, I mean, I think if, if Anthony Richardson, they throw him out there day one, again, you're going to get such a, a dominant rushing threat at the quarterback position where your offense is still going to be kind of effective. Now, it might look like Josh Allen in 2018 where you're completing 52% of your passes, but he might run for six, seven, 800 yards and, and really add something to your offense that way. So, yeah, I could see either way. Um, I probably wouldn't bench Will Levis or I wouldn't have Will Levis on the bench because – I just think a guy with his age and his experience, it's time for him to start. Colts sure seem like they're being patient here. Uh, And uh, look, this is uh, independent of the Lamar discussion, but they've said that they want to kind of slow build this thing back up. Does that indicate to you that maybe they've learned the right lessons from the failures of the past two seasons, or is that not the right approach to take? Man, I hope so, because they were, I mean, it's like they were just barely treading water for two seasons. And I think you're, your analogy at the top of the show was, was just great there about how the car caught on fire this past season. I mean, it it really did. Like It's like treading water for two years, and all of a sudden you're just drowning. Like That's what they were this past year. And I'm glad they didn't take that as a sign to, oh, it's on the quarterback again. Oh, it was on Matt Ryan. Don't worry. Once we get in Gardner Minshew and Shane Steichen, we'll be able to get back to our seven, eight, nine wins and, and barely squeak into the playoffs and and lose a tight one in round one and go pat ourselves on the back after the season. You know, I'm glad that they strayed away from that. And they're finally going, look, let's move Stefan Gilmore. You know, that's a veteran who's not going to be back after this next season. Let's move on from him, move on from Yannick Ngakwe, not give out big contracts to Bobby Okereke and stuff like that. Like, let's reset a little bit here. Let's get in some longer term deals with, you know, Abukum and, and Matt Gay and stuff like that and get those positions figured out. And let's just build around whatever we're going to do at quarterback here. You know, whether that's trading up to one, which ultimately didn't happen, or whether that's taking a guy at four or taking a guy at three. Like, I'm glad that they're finally saying, look, we're not only playing for 2024. We're also playing for 2024, 2025, and 2026 and and past that. You know, it's not just one year fix it and and hope that that saves our job for another season. Uh, So if that's truly what's going on, and they are really building between, you know, like before this, this young quarterback they're about to take, 
I'm all for it. Like it, it was finally time to do it. It was time to do it back in 2020 after Philip Rivers, and it's 100% time to do it right now. I mean, when you sign Matt Gay, you're ready to win right now. You're ready to win right. next year, the year after. I mean, am, am I right? We talk about franchise altering at the beginning of the conversation. I guess I should have led Matt Gay, right, Zach? Oh, man, look, if I never have to talk about a kicker again because this guy's so good, then then I'm calling it an absolute win of a signing. But until then, I'm going to I'm going to hold myself to I, I, could get, I get to criticize every miss. So he better not miss. That's that's the big thing right there. I know you've got your your draft guide going right now, and also it looks like your draft prospect interviews are, are happening. So kind of give us the lay of the land here for what the next couple of weeks look like for you leading up to the draft. Yeah, it's busy. Busy bunch of uh, prospect interviews and stuff going up on the site. Uh, yeah, the draft guide releases on April 10th. So if you guys haven't got your got your draft guide yet, you can go over there. It's like Gumroad or whatever. You guys can check it out on my on my social media at Zach Hicks two on Twitter and stuff and. Yeah, that's pretty much all it is. It's all draft right now. I don't think the Colts are going to do too much uh, free agency-wise, so it's all about you know reaching out to like the two connections I have and trying to figure out who the Colts might go. <laughs> you know, that? That's the biggest thing right now. I got Alec Pierce last year, and now I'm the draft insider. There you go. Yeah, all you got to do is hit one, and then yeah. there, there it is. At Zach Hicks, too, on Twitter, si.com slash NFL slash Colts for the Horseshoe Huddle and the Locked on Colts podcast with – daily uh, updates, daily episodes with uh, Jake Arthur and Zach as well. Appreciate it, my man, and we'll get back into that uh, Twitter DM inner circle. Great. Thanks, man. <laughs> That's Zach Hicks. We have uh, a group of us that are in this Twitter DM circle, and it's it's just fun to kind of, you know, not that we're we, we really spend time kind of being snarky about the team, but we also sort of trade things. You know, I'm I'm not really in it anymore. Like my my full time job's not in sports anymore. Like you know, not that I was ever like fully like, you know, Derek Schultz, AM radio co host insider. Like I, I was never in that realm anyway. Um, but some of the guys like Zach who talk to agents or you know have other sources are able to um, talk about and share some of the things that maybe they can't make public, and we all just kind of go back and forth and, and discuss those things. And it's, it's been very interesting and eye-opening to see some of the conversations that have gone on in the wake of the you know Jeff Saturday hire and then into what was just a disastrous interim span for him and then you know all, all of it. I mean, what a roller coaster for this year. Most of it was pointed straight down. But it was just crazy. I mean, the, the, Matt Ryan from the get-go, you could tell right away this is not working. The offensive line, you can tell right away this is not working. Frank Reich, me being an apologist for Frank Reich, I, I kind of realized about halfway through the season, hey, man, maybe this isn't working. You knew f- right away that Jeff Saturday was in over his head. You know, a great guy, Great representation, uh, a representative of the franchise, um, not ready, and nor would anybody to be uh, an NFL head coach with no experience uh, coaching major college football or in the NFL or, you know, I don't, I don't care how long you played. Once you put yourself in that seat, you need to have something to lean back on, and obviously he didn't. Now, the Colts issues go well beyond Jeff Saturday, but it, it just seems like every decision that they made – in season, you know, benching Ryan, then playing Ellinger, and then then bringing back Ryan, and then hiring an interim coach that was you know widely panned around the entire world, and you know every decision that they made, every button that they pressed last year was the wrong one, and 
for whatever reason, after the the curtain had fallen on that embarrassing home loss to the Texans, the final insult of a season long of insults, it feels like the Colts have jerked the wheel and gotten the car back on the road again. Now, it's still about results. It's still about they got a long way to go. They got a long way to go. They got a lot of things to solve for this team to be anywhere close to where they need to be within shouting distance of where they need, you know, forget Star Wars numbers in the 2000s. I just want the Colts to win 10 games again. I just want the Colts to make the playoffs again and maybe even win in the playoffs, win a wild card weekend game. Like that, that feels to be like an unreachable goal with where they've been lately. So they've got a really, really long way to go. But going through the head coaching process, which I think they handled very well, despite you know, all of us getting a little bit antsy and uh, when are they going to name a head coach? When are they going to name a head coach? I think they did their due diligence and I think they made the right choice. There's a lot of reason to believe that Shane Steichen is going to be a, a very good NFL coach and a gifted offensive mind and a guy that they can grow with. You know, Chris Ballard, eh, Chris Ballard has a track record of making good decisions in, in certain areas. His draft success in the later rounds, he has drafted some good players. He's made some good trades. What he hasn't done is solve the most important positions, and that's been the bugaboo for him, starting with quarterback, but elsewhere too. And it's been about roster construction. You you know, you can't build a team that's ready to win in 1994. You need to build a team that's ready to win in 2024. And I think that's another issue for the Colts. Their best players have been at positions that don't matter. You know, I, I know we like to wear the cute hat and say, run the damn ball. Who you play at running back has, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It's a fungible position. Jonathan Taylor is nice to have. It's great. Um, you know, it, it'd be nice to have a Ferrari. Um, I got a Honda Civic. That's fine. Honda Civic gets me from midtown to downtown in 10 minutes. I don't need a Ferrari. Can't afford a Ferrari, but, you know, just go with the analogy. You know, it's great to have a great offensive guard, a dominant offensive guard, at least one that used to be dominant. You don't need that. You don't need that to win. You don't need two great defensive tackles to win. You don't need a great long snapper, Pro Bowl long snapper to win. You don't need a great slot corner to win. You need dynamic threats at quarterback, at receiver, at edge. Like that's where your bread is going to be buttered in the NFL. You need guys that are game changers, difference makers at those spots. And the Colts just haven't found that. They found okay players. Kenny Kingakwe, yeah, he's fine. Whatever, he's fine. He's good. Okay, great. You know, Philip Rivers in his last year, he was fine. He was good. Whatever. Carson Wentz for like 10 weeks. Yeah, okay, fine. He was fine. Whatever. You know, they got to get past that. They got to get past fine and whatever. And need to find more talent at those spots. And that's that's where it starts and building this thing back up again. Because that's what they had when they, when this team mattered. Uh, when when this team was good and contending, they had players at the positions that mattered. Edge, Freeney, Mathis mattered. Game changers, game breakers, Hall of Fame level players. Peyton, duh, game breaker, Hall of Fame player. Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, game breakers, Hall of Fame players. You know those are the positions that really matter, and it's it's still to, it's even even more true now than it was then. But it's really always been true. The positions that impact the game, and the Colts just don't have enough of that. Two three nine ten seventy. We'll take some calls as we continue here. We're all done with guests. We got John Mayer tickets coming up later on the show to give away uh, before we end. Um, but mostly you, the rest of the way. Two three nine ten seventy. It's the ride with JMV ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. One, two, five. Please, uh, Three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thanks so much for tuning in. Derek Schultz filling in for JMV. It's The Ride. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. At least the sun's out today. It's still cool. But I'll take sun. Anything's better than the blue we've had here so far in March. It's been kind of a, a rough month weather-wise, but I, I guess I can't complain. February was awesome. Sign me up for that February every single year. At Schultz975 on Twitter, um, appreciate all you guys and tweeting and some people like, hey, look, hey, Schultz is on the air again. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's great. Uh, I enjoy it um, to get back on the, the bike again and start pedaling. Uh, you heard Jake Query, uh, who does the morning show with, with Kevin Bowen. Uh, Jake and I still keep our thing going uh, once a week, Query and Schultz, on Monday night, 730. It's on the YouTube channel. Um, youtube.com slash Corian Schultz, ISC Sports Network. You can find it there. Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, uh, podcast form. If you want to check that out and um, and go back down memory lane with us once a week. Um, also, I've been writing for the IBJ that started back in December, and that's been a lot of fun. If you're a subscriber, you can read those columns. Those happen bi-weekly. Mark Monteith, who's been a longtime writer in this town, longtime Pacers guy, uh, he and I rotate every other week. Um, and that's been a lot of fun to do. Indy Monthly, who used to be in this building, um, but is, I think, moved out now of this building. But I'm still contributing for them as well. So I've, I've got other things, you know, cooking, I guess. I'm, I'm still trying to desperately cling to whatever fading relevance I have in this city by doing these fill-ins and, and writing and things like that. But it's it's been good. It's been a lot of fun to stay involved and, you know, to get the call, hey, JMV's out on Tuesday. You want to come in? Yeah, absolutely. I want to come in. This is great. I don't know if I want to do this every day anymore. It's a little bit of a grind there where you just talk about the Colts uh, over and over again. But yeah, once a month? Sure. Hell yeah. Sign me up. Uh, This from Allen on Twitter. I'm not going to go with that running back analogy. You don't give up on a talent like Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, look, I I don't want it to to come off as me saying that Jonathan Taylor stinks or... um, or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, Jonathan Taylor is absolutely a special talent as a running back. Uh, my point is, is that you don't need a special talent at running back to win a Super Bowl. That is not a requirement like it used to be. You know, just look at the Super Bowl winners, certainly of the last five, six years, but hell, you can go back really 15, 16 years. You know, generally speaking, the teams that win are not great rushing teams, and they certainly don't have front end running backs. You know, Derrick Henry and the Titans have had some success. They haven't been to a Super Bowl, won one. You know, look at the Colts' 2021 offense. Jonathan Taylor was hitting home runs every week. It's a game breaker. None of that matters when your quarterback stinks on ice. If you can't throw and you have no downfield offense, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, Jonathan Taylor can't overcome that. Barry Sanders in his prime could barely overcome that. And he's one of like the five greatest players in the position and they barely cracked the playoffs there later in his career. I remember them playing a game against the Jets for the playoffs, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, like, 96, 97, somewhere around there. And uh, and I think the Jets won. It would have been, like, the Parcel Jets teams, but I think that was the last year that that Sanders sniffed the playoffs. And you, you don't need that. That That's what I'm talking about with team building and, and with where the Colts are. Their best players are at positions that aren't as relevant as – 
the game-breaking impact positions. That's all there is. You know, nobody's saying it's not great to have Quinn. It's great to have Quinn Nelson. I love Quinn Nelson, sure. When he's right, he's great. He's dominant. He's awesome. You know, pancakes and all that. Wearing cutoffs in a snowstorm and aerostorm. Great. Sign me up. That's great. Give me shirtless Quentin Nelson at Arrowhead in a playoff game. Wonderful. He's a guard. At the end of the day, he's a guard. You know, what What? What? what difference does it make? It's a guard. You know, you get 60% of Quentin Nelson, you're probably doing just fine. Whereas you get 60% of Patrick Mahomes, and you're like Kirk Cousins or something. You know? Like, that's that's the difference. You need to be elite at those other spots. Jay's been waiting patiently on hold. 239-1070. Hi, Jay. Thanks for calling the show. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, and it's mainly a question because, you know, the coach is making all the news and stuff, but we're forgetting about the other franchise. And my question is, how long of a timeline do we give Rick Carlisle? How long? I mean, he lost last year. He lost this year. And I understand the rebuild thing, but, I mean – I mean, we got Mark Jackson just waiting for the job. But, you know, how long do we give him a chance to get this team right? Because he had ample times to win ball games this year, and he pulled, he don't put the right line up. He's playing small. we losing games on rebounding and second-chance points. And he got two big seven-footers sitting on the bench and won't even play them. So I'm just trying to figure out how long do we give him. Do you know, just out of curiosity, what their uh, the Vegas over under was on wins for this year, Jay, for the Pacers? Like what what the, uh, the, the amount of wins that they were projected to have this year by Vegas? So the betting line that was set. Uh, that probably was probably about twenty ball games. Yeah, but I mean it, it was twenty three, and they and they've won thirty three. Now look, I, yeah. I I know that you know the wheels have kind of fallen off really ever since like New Year's, right? Like around the holidays, they were playing good basketball still, and then. Uh, things went south. They had the long losing streak. I, I, I get the frustration. I, I'm not saying that Rick Carlisle's decision-making is infallible, but if we're adding up everything that the Pacers have done this year, I, I think they've actually shown some progress. I, I think you've seen some individual growth. So, you know, timetable and all of that, I, I think his timetable in a way sort of reset because they basically blew up the team after last year and you get rid of Sabonis and Levert and all of those pieces and you kind of start fresh. But, I mean, I would guess that they're projecting this thing to be at least another at least another year, if not maybe two years before they're back, like seriously about to win a playoff series and and moving into contention mode, I would think. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I just think, man, you shouldn't, you know, it, it was like he was teasing the fans. I mean, you know, he put the right lineup out there, and they win, they win all these ball games, and grabbing these rebounds with uh, with sticks in there with Miles Turner, and then all of a sudden he just changed the whole thing. And yeah. I understand Halliburton got hurt, but man, it, it was like a tease, man, in the fans' face. I hear you. Yeah, and he's a little, you know, to some. And thanks for the call, Jay. I think he's a little maybe too old school for some. You know, Carlisle to me is, is is a good mix of old school and new school, but he can be a little old school um, where, you know, if you're not practicing well or whatever else, then you're just you're, you're just not going to play um, or you're going to play less. Um, he wants to hold all of his guys accountable, so he's not just going to play, I don't know, like I, I'm just using this as an example, like Isaiah Jackson, okay, well, you're young. And so you're maybe part of the field. So I'm going to play you. And I, you know, I don't care about anything else. And, and that's who we're going to play. Um, he's not going to follow the blueprint that 
I think everybody wants there. He's going to do what he thinks is best for the moment and to, you know, the, the, the Pacers aren't only trying to rebuild, you know, from a wins and losses standpoint and, and who they are. They're, they're trying to rebuild themselves as an identity and a franchise and what to expect when you get here. And so, to me, like, I, I'm not sitting here trying to cape for Rick Carlisle necessarily. I'm just telling you, like, what I've gathered from what he wants to do with this team. But this is still – I was expecting the Pacers to be one of the five worst teams in the league this year, and they weren't, and they haven't been over the course of the season. And I think we've seen individual growth, um, certainly from Tyrese Halliburton at the top of the roster, and I think you've seen some of that from the depth of the roster too. I mean, I've, I've really liked – Andrew Nemhard has been terrific. Um, and, and I think sometimes, you know, you give, you give the coaching staff – some credit for bringing those players along and developing those players. And I think Carlisle deserves a little bit of a hat tip there. But as far as judging him on wins and losses, I I mean, I don't think that that comes until probably the year after next. And that's when you really want to see them kind of make a leap. I mean, I want to see them, don't get me wrong, I want to see them continue to go forward here and and potentially like crack the play-in round or maybe even, you know, get, get into the middle of the playoff field next year. But as far as expecting them to be like, contending or you know hosting a first round playoff series I, I still think we're at least another year away from that but that's a, a better timetable than where they were last year I mean last year right now this team was rotting on the vine Two three nine ten seventy. Corey's next up hi Corey how are you Derek good day sir how are you I'm doing great man thanks for calling uh, awesome to hear you back on the air. I know it sounds like this is maybe like a temporary one-time thing, but uh, <laughs> love hearing you back on the airways, Ben. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, and it is kind of like a temporary. I've got a I've got a full-time gig that I'm liking right now, but it, it's it's fun. It's fun to come back and, and do this every once in a while when they have me. Well, yeah, well, like like hearing you. Um, I w- wanted to switch gears real quick back to the the Colts. One of the things I've been kind of mulling around in my head here in the off season. Uh, going through, you know, the, the signings, approaching the draft is the identity of the Colts for the future. Like, what is the identity that Ballard and Ursay are building to go out and start winning division titles and compete for a Super Bowl again? I struggle with this roster, and I know that, you know, the, the big question mark obviously is quarterback. But, you know, what is what is this identity going forward and is it going to be one that, you know, we can all rally around and hope to see, you know, compete here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of that will be dictated by who the next quarterback is because I think teams somewhat are molded to the identity of their quarterback, right? I mean, certainly that was the case here for many years with Peyton Manning, but I think in a way it was kind of the way that it was with Andrew Luck too where I know it was frustrating for people, but they dig themselves a hole and then Luck and company would help dig themselves out of it. And they did that actually pretty well. Um, Lost a lot of hair in the process. I did watching them every Sunday. But I think that'll be dictated a lot by the quarterback. But I I think what they wanted to do, Corey, was I I think Ursay even talked about this. I I think he wanted the identity to be similar to what Vrabel and Tennessee have. And then I think maybe they notice after this year that, hey, maybe maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we don't want to be like ground and pound and, you know, kind of be a throwback football team. So I, I hope the identity that they want is what we've seen the really successful NFL teams be. And that is dynamic on offense and aggressive. 
You know, that that was a trait that was shared by both of the Super Bowl participants this year. You know, dynamic players on offense, certainly a quarterback, aggressive. We are going to score points. We are not here to punt on fourth and one. We want to score more points than you. And so this whole idea of, you know, hand off to the running back and have him be the best player and, you know, win 20 to 17. I, offense was down across the board in the NFL this year, so I guess maybe I'm, I'm more open to 20 to 17 victories than not, you know, win however it takes. But I still err on the side of offense and points. I, th- I think that's that's what you have to have the identity to be. What did Shane Steichen say in the press conference? We're going to, we're going to throw to win. We're going to run to... Now I'm trying to think of what it was. It was a great quote. Wasn't it? We're going to run we're, to we're, score. We're going to run to score. We're like going to throw to win. Was that what it was? Something like that. Damn it. I had a great point there because it was it was a great quote. Now I don't remember what the quote was, but it was something like that. That, that, that fits in line with Corey with what you just said about what their identity is going to be. 239-1070. Jose next up in the phone call uh, parade. Jose, go ahead and turn down your radio. We'll get you on here. He'll hear it here. Hey, how's it going, man? It's good, man. Good, good. I just got a, something that's not been on my mind for the past two weeks since the Miami game. What is up with IU basketball? These boys are soft like Charmin. We got dudes wearing headbands who have no type of mental toughness. What's your take on that? Have a great day. Thanks, Jose. God, we're all over the board here. We got Pacers, we got Colts. Um, I think a lot of that whole he's wearing a headband or he's doing a TikTok video. <sighs> Guys, it's it's 2023 now, okay? So, you know, Matt Nover and Brian Evans in a crew cut and – you know, doing bounce passes and stuff like that, that, that era is gone. Um, would I like to see Indiana show more fight and not get run off the floor in the second round? Yeah, I'm with everybody else there. The results have to be better. And I, I don't know. Um, I have been a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say a defender. I've tried to be a little bit more of a realist when it comes to my, IU basketball expectations. I was a little surprised this year at how content everybody seemed to be with how the season resulted. Like to me, I heard a lot of people say, well, Indiana had a good year this year. Nah, not really. And Indiana was okay. They had a lot of injuries that happened this year. So I'm, I'm not going to hold them to the preseason standard of big 10 champion and top 10, 12 basketball team nationally. I think that standard went out the window when they lost Xavier Johnson and they lost race Thompson, who was a key piece for them for all those games. So I, I think you had to adjust expectations after that. But this idea that Indiana had some great, eh, eh, they were fine. They, they, they had a good stretch there for about 10 games where they were, they were a good, really good basketball team, but that's about it. You know, that Miami game was a blowout. That was that was a 15-point game that really was a 30-point game. Indiana had two runs in that game. They had a 10-0 run, and they had a 15-0 run, and outside of that, they got shredded all night. So they had about five minutes in that game where they were really good, and they were competitive, and that was it. The, the other 35, Miami just ran them off the floor. So I'm with Jose there. You know, there's a lot of... There are a lot of things that they have to, they, they have to fix. Um, I just want Indiana to be... In the mix again. Uh, I, I long ago gave up. You know, this is weird for me because I work for Purdue and I'm an IU alum. 
Um, <laughs> but I want the, the the best for both of those teams. I long ago gave up Indiana ever being Kentucky or Kansas. That That's out the window. That's never happening again. You know, if that's still your standard for for Indiana, then you need to, you know, get with reality. That that hasn't been it hasn't been that way for 30 years. You know, Indiana's made the round of eight once in the last 30 seasons. Once. One time. Uno. So they haven't really, and I was a freshman on that team, the 0-2 team with Dane Fife, who just sat in this chair. That was a fun year, but that was the rose amongst the thorns here. That, that's not the expectation anymore. You know, Kansas is a one seed every year. Duke's a one seed almost every year. North Carolina, I know they missed the tournament this year. They're in the mix every year. Final four, every five years, four years, whatever it is. They're constantly there. Indiana's not been that forever. You know, Indiana's not been in the top four or five of the Big Ten every year. They can't even do that. So, you know, what's fixing Indiana? Is it is it Miller Cops headband that is causing Indiana? Pre- uh, yeah, okay. If that's what you think, sure. It's the headbands. It's the TikToks. You know, does Indiana need to get tougher? Sure. Sure, I can buy that. I can get on board with that. They need to get better. Better players build something back up again. Result after result after result. Consistency. Not, hey, we were outright Big Ten champs, and then you're getting run off the floor against Fort Wayne or Indiana State. Not that. Not not fly-by-night good seasons, which is basically what Indiana's had the last 10 or 15 years. You know, they've had it. Hey, season, hey, 2016, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, 2017, you stink again. 2013, hey, we're real good. 2014, you stink again. Build it up, keep it consistent, and then go from there, and then take those steps towards being a contender again. Wrap up the show next. We've got John Mayer to tickets to give away, and we're going to do that coming up here in about 10 minutes. It is The Ride with JMV, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on, yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. John Mayer, the pride of Bridgeport, Connecticut. I think he was just born in Bridgeport. Grew up in Fairfield. Bridgeport's where we used to go buy beer in Trumbull. If you are caller number, do we do, do I pick a random number? Oh, you do? Okay, James is going to do it. See, I'm, I'm new to the process here. James is going to randomly pick a caller right now, 239-1070. John Mayer concert tickets up for grabs as we speak right now. 239-1070 if you want to get on the line and potentially get those John Mayer tickets. But we don't have a lot of claims to fame for Fairfield County in Connecticut, but John Mayer, I guess, would be one of them. He's had a weird career arc, right? Because John Mayer kind of came in and was like this, you know, poppy rolling around in a day bed with um, Jennifer Love Hewitt music video. Body is a wonderland. Remember that? Or I want to run through the halls of my high school. Remember, like it was like poppy. Like, yeah, what is this? And then he sort of transitioned and put out some good albums. And you're like, wait a minute, it, is John Mayer good? And then he started touring around with Dead and Company. You're like, oh my God, like John Mayer's good. At least that's been my sort of, <laughs> that's been my arc with John Mayer. I don't know if JMV would feel the same way, but I, and I might be biased because we both grew up in the same little corner of Southern New England there in Fairfield County. But congratulations to Eric. He is our winner for the John Mayer tickets. 
Uh, I've got about two minutes here. Do I have time to? I got to fit in Turnbuckle. Good old Turnbuckle, man. We used to hear from Turnbuckle all the time when Jake and I were doing the afternoon show on a different station that barely exists. Hi, Turnbuckle. How are you? Hey, Derek, man. It's been nice listening to you today. Welcome welcome back. It needs to be more permanent. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Mo permanent, just like uh, just like IU football, man. That's that's the one thing I kind of wanted to talk about uh, quickly. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, the nation, the, the nation always is intrigued by what's going on down in Bloomington and with the program this year. But I, the big warning sign this year is number one: we start off with Ohio State. So that's uh, that, that's always a uh, a broken bone affair, uh, and then couple of the non-conference games, Akron and Indiana State, those are losable games. This could be a very, very droughtful year down in Bloomington. But on, on a brighter note, it's great outside today. The Masters are coming up, and i got to bounce in my step. There you go, Bill. It's great to hear from you, and I, I knew you were going to want to talk about Indiana football, so to, uh, to placate you, I will go ahead and go through that. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they got Louisville on that schedule too, right, which is interesting with Brom. I, I think they're hosting Louisville. So Brom coming back to the state, at least, with his, with his new team. But, yeah, look, um, where they are with Tom Allen needs to change immediately. And my bar of expectations is very low for Indiana. But that bar is higher than Big Ten doormat. So th- the best thing about 19 and 20 for Indiana was that Indiana stopped becoming a punchline. Like, I I don't need Indiana to contend for Rose Bowls, which is really something that they've never done. So I'm asking them to do that. You know, it's easy to ask them to do something they've never done before. Um, I just want them to not be the worst program in the conference. You know, it, there's no reason to me why Indiana can't be Northwestern. None. There, there's no reason to me why Indiana can't be a poor man's Iowa. Just kind of be, you know, Maryland. Just be in the mix for the pinstripe bowl for the craft macaroni and who the hell cares bowl like just do that and if iu football could do that all good thanks to james doing a great job running the show today zach Kiefer, john fanta greg rakestraw zach hicks thanks to you thanks for all the kind words hope to fill in again soon john will be back next time and i will see you next time have a great rest of your day guys Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.